Hey, how's it going, everyone? It's Wayne here, and we've got another episode, a special Thanksgiving, or maybe I should say no Thanksgiving episode of the Simple Heart Podcast. And I was thinking about who I wanted to have on on the week of Thanksgiving, and I decided that the right person to bring on is someone who's been on the podcast before, and it's always been so much fun talking to her, which is Priya Sahani. So Priya is not just a co-founder of Direct Action Everywhere, but she's been a lead investigator in our Open Rescue Network and was with me on the day that we took out some some dying and sick turkeys from one of the largest turkey factory farms in the state of California. And interestingly, this same turkey factory farm was rated five plus, the highest possible rating by Whole Foods, and was only one of three out of 2,000 plus farms given that rating. And you'll be shocked and stunned about what we saw inside. And, And honestly, just how much we're still emotionally scarred by that experience. But there's a lot of other fun stuff we talk about, including the nature of consciousness, whether psilocybin and LSD are good for you or bad for you. (laughs) There's a little bit of a debate, but not much of one. Even whether you should be drinking coffee before or after you go to bed um, or take a nap. So there's a lot of interesting stuff that unfolds in this conversation. But I think the most important thing that I hope everyone takes home is that there's a lot for us to give thanks about this holiday season. A lot of it is not the things that our society is telling us to be thankful about. It's not certainly turkey on the dinner table. It's not all the buying and selling that happens on Black Friday. Most of that stuff is nonsense. It's about other things like compassion, like community, and like the change we can create together. So anyways, I hope you found, find, I should say, this conversation is as inspiring and fun as I did. Without further ado, here's Priya Sohani. Ready to rock this podcast? As usual. I'm ready because I had my latte. I'm still working on mine. I'm Usually I chug it. That's funny. You don't chug it. Yeah, you I take do. like two hours. Really? <laughs> By the time you're done with your latte, it's cold. Huh, that's weird. <laughs> no, I, <laughs> I've had so many of your lattes that are ice cold like okay. three hours yeah. later. Hmm. You're yeah. right, I guess. It's weird because you I do kinda, chug everything else. You're, you're, you, well, you don't chug anything. You're not... You're not a slow eater, but you're not a fast eater. I mean, granted, I have a... Okay, you're really my fast, but I'm, a, I'm pretty fast, too. I'm trying to eat slower. Yeah. No, it's good to eat slower. And it's, yeah. it's actually pretty interesting. Um, I, think, I think it actually is good to drink your coffee more slowly. I did do one thing right today, which is... You took a nap right after you I took... T- yeah, yeah, you know about this, well, right? You told me that. So I don't even know if this is true or not, but what I've read and, you know... You read all sorts of ridiculous things on the internet, so who knows if this is true. But I did read this in the New York Times, I think, was that if you drink your coffee before you sleep, your sleep is much more restorative. That's so interesting. Like, right, but you have to sleep right after you Right sleep. after. Because if you wait even 30 minutes, then the caffeine will make you alert, but, and you can't actually get to sleep. Yeah. Although caffeine doesn't have much of an impact on me, yeah. so that's not the biggest concern. But apparently, if you go to sleep, you get into a rest of a kind of a restorative state, and then your mind is activated. There's, It's, it's almost like... The rest is activated and energized by the caffeine that's running through your brain. So I don't know. Anyways, um, glad to have you on the podcast because it, Thanksgiving is such a weird time. Are we even allowed to say Thanksgiving now? <laughs> you're, um, you're you're the head of anti-colonial vegans, so I can ask I can ask you for official advice. Am I allowed to say Thanksgiving? I mean, I I just think like people are gonna say what they're gonna say, but what what do I call it? Um, I just think it's important to, it, it doesn't really matter what people say or call Thanksgiving as much as, you know, every time they do bring it up that for the animals and, you know, for what's happened, what's, what continues to happen 
to native people of this land that we acknowledge that this is not uh, a you know fun happy holiday for the victims. Yeah, I was I was telling Jeremy, you know Jeremy Beckham. In yes, Utah. of course He's I know been on Jeremy. The po- podcast a few times. Have you even interacted with him much? No, but I've met him when we went. I think we stayed there when we went to Utah years ago. Like remember. Really? Huh. Yeah, I met Jeremy and you I and met Jeremy his... should hang out. You'd like each other. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah each I, th- I feel like Jeremy's really funny. <laughs> he is funny. No, but uh, Jeremy has his grumpy, gruff energy. There's, <laughs> there's something about that type of person that yeah. I think... I think those are people You are like that type yes. of person? Like yes. these yeah. kind of nerdy white guys yeah. who are a little grumpy but yeah. smart and very... Like almost overly candid sometimes. Yes, and I you... love people are overly candid. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think. That's funny that you know that about me. I, I don't know why I really like people. Because you know what? They're so like, to me, they're so disarming. You can never like yeah, do anything yeah. to them. No, that, you, that's you'd surprising. find Jeremy disarming. But it was, um, I was talking to, to Jeremy recently about this because Jeremy, who's the head of the Utah Animal Rights Coalition, just a, a great activist who's worked on so many different cases. I actually learned a few weeks ago that he's won I think 12 lawsuits against the federal government. Isn't that amazing? Or no, I shouldn't say the federal government, the state government. Did you know this? Whoa, I had no idea. Yeah, he sued the the government so many times and won so many times because they're constantly violating our rights. And wow. I feel like Jeremy is like a one-man army That's defending amazing. American civil rights. You're amazing, Jeremy. Jeremy is amazing. And he's not even a lawyer. So not That's what, That was my next question. I was like, is he a lawyer? No, he's not. But he just knows he's more just about well the law informed. than the vast majority of lawyers I know. He's a great guy. But Jeremy... All right, I'm going to shame him. It's coming out now. Oh, my gosh. It's, he's getting publicly called out. Are you going to tag him? <laughs> he organized a vegan Thanksgiving. Um, so you're organizing one, too. <laughs> no, mine is a Thanksgiving. It's All not right. a Thanksgiving. <laughs> okay, I was so going to call it a vegan no Thanksgiving. Yeah. No thanks, right? Because, uh, but then, you no know, that sounded kind of negative. <laughs> yeah, no thanks. So if you all can't see, Priya just... Put out the hand. I put out so my talk hand. To no the hand. thanks. And then sh- talk shake to the your hand. hand. No, and shake you got to shake your head too. But no. this isn't a video podcast. So Jeremy organized a vegan Thanksgiving, and I told him, "No, you that would not fly in the Bay Area." I'm serious. I don't think it would. Hmm. Don't you think there'd be a lot of backlash if you huh. organized a Thanksgiving in the Bay Area? Yeah, I no? guess people would be like, "That's a little weird." Like in the progressive circles. I don't think it's just that people would say it's weird. I think they'd attack and say, yeah. "This is you know you're oppressive and." Like, and, and the weird thing is, on the one hand, I agree with that. Yeah. It, and certainly, if you're an animal advocate, 46 million right, exactly. turkeys. I mean, we're joking <laughs> around now, but this is a dark, violent holiday for anyone who cares about animals. But then also, when you read about the history of what happened to indigenous people yeah. from colonization, and, and the reason I asked Prey specifically about this is because you started a group called Anti-Colonial Vegans. Yes. Which is concerned about, among other things, yeah. you know, how indigenous people were treated in this country and continue to be treated poorly. And I feel like in the Bay Area, if you organized a vegan Thanksgiving and right. called it vegan Thanksgiving, people would come after you. No? I, yeah, I get, you're right. I think they would. I think, I guess, I've changed my mind on, on this. To me, I'm really trying not to look at like labels and titles mm. as much as like the essence. And I can just tell, I, I mean, I, I haven't hung out with Jeremy recently, but I cannot imagine somebody like... I thought we were going to cancel him. Now you're 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 rehabilitating Jeremy. Well, I'm I I was so excited about canceling Jeremy. I'm going to cancel you cuz I'm trying to I'm I'm trying to cancel cancel culture. Oh shit, she's canceling the I'm, one who's canceling. Exactly. I'm like so I'm, I'm so meta. I'm so you're meta. So meta. So EA. But you're right. I think we'll have, in the we'll Bay have to talk Area. About EA too. I think in the Bay Area. See, that's what kind of bothers me about this culture. People are so concerned about like labels and like yeah 
titles, but it's like, what about and public relations? That's the wrong way to look at things. We have to see the like, I don't care if Jeremy's organizing a Thanksgiving or a Thanksgiving. What is the essence of this? What what are we bringing? You you know what else this guy does? What? You know what else this guy does? And in addition to feeding people vegan food on Thanksgiving, he he serves vegan food to the homeless. Well, that's so if you want to, yeah, exactly. So this is what you're talking exactly. about. Does it matter if it you're organizing matter. vegan Thanksgiving, or yes. does it matter that this is a guy who's donating his time and energy exactly. and money that's to the most needy people thing. on Utah? You know, and actually, I'm probably going to go down to Utah because I've got community service that I technically <laughs> don't have to do it legally. I mean, it's a contractual commitment. This is after the Sam Pete case. It's actually yeah. after Rick Pittman's case. You know, because Rick Rick Pittman was a turkey farmer in Utah. We did an open Ross Gotis farm investigated it uh, even the ceo of the farm found that said the conditions were disturbing but instead of trying to put us in prison rick reached out to us and asked us what can we do better wow you know and at the end of the day there are huge differences of opinion about right. what we should do and i told him you know ultimately what i'd love to see and i really think you could do this i'd love to see you transform your entire business towards a plant-based future make this a plant-based meat company it doesn't harm any animal and obviously rick and i are not there yet we haven't come to an agreement on that what rick did do was he fought hard hard this guy fought harder than almost anybody yeah. i feel like he fought harder than i did to defend us <laughs> that's amazing from criminal charges including testifying in court against his interests i saw there were people in the industry mm-hmm. going after him for that but he said no these folks are good people i've got to know them and there's a difference between stealing and helping someone who's suffering. That was still my favorite part, part about the uh, about the trial because, yeah, I think see, like coming back to the conversations, if we're so hung up on like, well, we can't, you know, purity politics, where we're like, well, I can't have this name and be friends with this person, then you, we, you wouldn't have this relationship that you've built with Rick Pittman. Yeah. And I think that re- like he, him having you and DXC people in his life and animal rights activists in his life is good for him and it's good for the animals. Yeah, it is. And if, if we like have this mentality where it's like we can't associate with certain people, then we're actually harming our movement. Yeah, I mean, I remember, I don't want to name and shame. I, I know what you're talking about. You know who it is? Yes. There's, there's someone in particular whose <laughs> name starts with an S, right? Yeah. Yeah. Great guy. I mean, he's, he's awesome. He's awesome. Like, actually, yeah. Wherever you are out there, S, we're not going to say your name because we don't want to call you out. I know. I, I, want, I want to be in touch with that guy because he's super passionate and generous. like down for direct action. And still, one of my favorite scenes, we should say what he actually did. <laughs> but in a sec- we'll say what he did in, in a second because you don't, none of you, this is such an insider conversation. People are like, what the hell is going on with this podcast? They're talking about all this shit that. that we don't understand. One of my favorite all time scenes is when S is walking into an egg farm. Do you remember this scene? Yeah. And there's the, it just says animal rescue on a yes, shirt. Yes, yes. You know, and it's yeah. like, He's just barging in oh, there. So he's like, don't get me wrong, S. Yes. S is an amazing Hearts. guy. We love you so much. I haven't seen you in a while. Um, he's a POC. Yes. So he's a brother. And, <laughs> yep. and so I love seeing more brothers out there doing animal rights activism. But when I uh, first formed this relationship with Rick, I think he either posted it. And yeah, he, he posted it. I think he it. said, he posted it a couple times saying something along the lines of, there's some whistling going on outside. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you all can hear that whistling, but apparently someone's very excited about the story I'm going to tell. Yeah, so, they're like, Rick. But he, he posted repeatedly when I was forming this relationship with Rick, something along the lines of, oh, so I see DXC leadership is now working with people who commit atrocities. Yeah. You know, and it's like, I, I remember talking to him about this because I saw him posting and, mm-hmm. you know, basically dragging me on the internet. And, and so I want to talk to him about it. And, and to his credit, you know, we had 
a conversation. And, and, you know, S is not the sort of person who generally likes extensive conversations, but I felt like I connected with him and I liked him a lot. Yeah. And, and the hard thing was, you know, when I went and talked to him is I thought, you know, you're right. There's like a lot of truth to this. And, yes. and, and this is why a lot of the cancel culture stuff is right too. It's yes. like, you're right. There is something wrong that's happening. Yes. And we do have to take a stand. Yeah. The question is how you take a stand, right? Do you take a stand in a way that creates just an adversarial dynamic between you and the rest of the world? Yeah. Or even you and your quote unquote enemy? Mm-hmm. Or do you try and take a stand that brings them in? That's yeah. still just as strong ideally. And, and I'm not saying it's easy because it's like S's critique. Um, we should reach out to S after yeah, this. Yeah, we should. Yeah, we should reach out to S because we haven't seen him in a while. Do you remember that? There was, there was a meeting we had at the old Dingo Den yeah. house too where it was a POC meeting. And he had some really insightful thoughts. And I thought he was like such a powerful presence. Gosh, my memory is not the best. You don't remember that meeting? It was like all Indian people. Oh, yeah. Okay, I do remember the meeting now. <laughs> it was like, I was so excited about because I'm like, yeah, I'm going to get all my Chinese brothers and sisters out. Right. And like everyone who came was Indian. And yeah. I'm like, all right, apparently the Chinese people don't give a shit about this stuff. But Priya did a good job organizing her people. Because her did people a good job. came out. They, those people loved you way more than they love me. No, I don't know about that. Or I they mean, love both of us. I mean, remember Sanjeev said, I've never seen an Indian woman so <laughs> uncivil. Was that I what he said? I love Sanjeev. Shout out to so, Sanjeev. Yeah, our Sanjeev friend Sanjeev awesome. once came to DXE. He came to Animal Rights Action partly because he saw a video of Priya and said, I've never seen an Indian woman behave so uncivilly, yeah. right? It was that yeah, the word? it was literally in a it's video. Uncivil, which is funny because, you know, like we're all about civil yeah. disobedience, not uncivil disobedience. But sometimes... What people conventionally understand as civil is not what's meant by civil. Yeah, civil, like civilized. Okay, so, I just want to say to the, like, I actually really understand um, that person's perspective too, like yeah. S's perspective. And I think, I, and I think in an ideal world, like we can have all of these, like we can have these messy disagreements and have people just vocalize and say, yeah, this, Get is, a my, little closer to this is my opinion. Like, I don't think this is a good thing. What I think, and this is what I've learned with my recent, uh, you know, um, just me learning about cancel culture and, and how John to, McWhorter. and how to like, right. How, You've been reading to, John McWhorter. Yes. I, I need to start reading that book again. I, I read like seven books at a time. Sometimes it's just how my brain works. But anyway, I've been listening to this awesome podcast. It's called fucking canceled. Check it out. It's really awesome. Hmm. And one of the things that I've learned, what they talk about is like often the time, the way that people respond to, to, uh, to, um, situations that they call abusive is by abusing other people that's true and and that's not what we want to create so i do think we can ideally have everybody who has these opinions but at the same time like there's no reason not to respect like you know not to respect like people and just say like this person just has their own opinion and i guess you could because if we as animal rights activists started walking around with this kind of attitude but we don't speciesism we would i mean we would cancel in our entire families and and everybody we work with everyone in the world so you know, and I, we don't. I wrote a blog about this recently. Uh, did you see that blog I wrote? What was the title of it? Future generations will deplore yes, our creatures and animals. Yes. Um, yeah, and let me just signpost a little bit this podcast. Some of the things I want to talk about today are are what future generations are going to think about Thanksgiving. I want to break this down and give you insight and, and hopefully give you some advice on how to handle Thanksgiving because both of us have taken the liberation pledge. Both has had tremendous success, I think, in affecting our families in, in positive ways, I think. Maybe in some negative ways, too. And, and that story you told me about Kabir, oh, my God. You got to share that story. I have to share that, that yes. That's an amazing story. I will make well, a post about this. Yeah, you got to make a post about that. Stay tuned because Instagram's about to blow up, friends. Oh, it's going to blow Cause, up. Because when coming. you get a, a cute kid talking about animals, that's social media gold. No, I'm kidding. 
It's, it's not social media gold. It's just, it's a really substantive, powerful, meaningful, genuine story about family and Thanksgiving and, and the meaning of these traditions. Um, and the difference between the Eastern mentality and the Western mentality on things like holidays and feasting, which I think is important. We were actually just talking about this. Um, but the other thing I want to talk about a little bit is just as we approach the holiday season, what it means to be generous and giving. Because a very famous vegan, Sam Bankman fried just unfortunately took a lot from a lot of people. He's a billionaire crypto entrepreneur whose company went from $26 billion to zero and probably at least thousands of people, um, maybe tens or hundreds of thousands of people lost their entire life savings. I don't know if I told you this, but I have a very good friend in Southern California, an old family friend. Wow. You probably know who I'm th th thinking of. Mm -hmm. um, name starts with a D. Mm -hmm, yep. Yeah, so he, he lost an enormous amount of money. Oh my God, that's yeah. so sad. Yeah, like almost his entire life savings, I think. What? He's got almost nothing left. Oh my God. Yeah, in one day. You know, imagine just one day Wait. going to the bank and saying, and things are fine, and the next because day Because he was go, investing in crypto? Yeah. Or with this specific? Yeah, he, was in, he had enormous amount of money in this exchange, FTX. And it was run by a vegan. And I think there's some lessons for us to learn from that. Because um, I actually know Sam Bankman-Fried. Did, did I tell you that yet? No. Well, you told me. Yeah, so I, I know him. Because he was an effective altruist. And, you know, I mean, I don't think the effective altruists really accept me anymore. But <laughs> I still see myself as an effective altruist. And I think the, the movement effective altru altruism is a really important one. And I got to know him because he originally started as an animal welfare advocate and drifted away from that. Wow. I'm pretty sure he's still vegan even today. But his journey away from caring for animals towards building a crypto empire has some really important lessons for all of us well, as the holidays approach. But I'm there's so a lot of things. shocked about this. Wow. Yeah. No, there's a lot of really ridiculous stuff happening in the world today, but a lot of really good stuff too. And we can't lose sight of that. Um, so anyways, but yeah, let's, let's start by talking about Thanksgiving. Actually, why don't you tell us? Tell us what happened with Kabir recently. And tell, well, who's Kabir, first of all? Um, Kabir is my beautiful, lovely nephew. <laughs> and um, he, so yeah, I was just hanging out the other day and I got a call from my sister and she said, okay, talk to your Masi. Masi in Hindi means uh, mother, sister. So I'm his Masi. And um, she said, Kabir has something to tell you. And I said, okay. And so he goes, Masi, I will always make the choice to eat vegetarian Aww. or be vegetarian. And how old is he? He's five, five or maybe kid. six, actually. Wow. So and he's bad. never eaten animals before, right? No, he's never eaten animals wow. before. Um, he was he's raised vegetarian, and and I said, "Wow, you're so sweet and so loving and so kind and compassionate and so smart." And he said, "Yeah." And people who eat meat aren't. And it was just. <laughs> I mean, he's. He's he's a he's he's a well, very. You told me, I thought you said he said they're stupid or something. Oh, no, he said. Oh yeah, sorry. He said people who eat meat are not very smart. Aww. That's what he said. People who eat meat. Are, I don't know are if that's the best framing, smart. but I still love the kid. <laughs> not even the best framing. I don't know if it's the best. You know, but we all go. He's going through that journey, right? Yes. Where in the initial stages, when you first learn about what's happened to animals, you think, "What's wrong with people? They're yeah, so exactly. stupid." And he loves animals. He loves dogs. He loves yeah. like he's just he like loves Mimi. He's right? a yeah. He's very and Mimi's bit him several times, and he's still. Loves her. Mimi's like, a dog for the background. Yeah, Mimi's, not, yeah, don't yeah, Mimi's worry. No, my, no my human, um, human body. My non human sister, doggy sister. Yeah, she has been bit him a couple times and he's so like loving and he's just a very loving child. He's yeah. very, very loving. Yeah, you got to post that. We'll put it in the show notes actually after you post it on what social media are people using nowadays? Uh, Instagram, TikTok. TikTok, Be Real. Have you heard about Be Real? No, what is it? Jeremy's been telling me about Be Real. It's a, oh my God. It's my a great. new social media platform where 
a, there's a designated period of time. Like, so every, say, three hours, everybody who's friends with you on Be Real has to post something at the same time, a photo of where they are and what they're doing. Weird. It's like a way to stay in touch with people you're in a network with. It's, this, it's, I feel like I'm getting flashbacks of like people talking to me and explaining yeah. TikTok to me and being like, what the what fuck the is TikTok? this? And now uh, I'm hearing about this and watch know. this blow up. I don't know if B-Real is going to blow up. I, I, I think I looked and B-Real only has, you know, tens of millions of users, which is still a ridiculous amount. I mean, amount, TikTok but, is here to stay. I think yeah. like TikTok has made regular people in, in real life celebrities and it's shown us that we don't actually care about celebrities. We care more about each other. Yeah, I mean... That's a very positive take on TikTok. I have a much more negative view of TikTok. Really? I want to hear what it is. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I'll tell you in a second. But I, I want to say one other thing about the Kabir story. Yeah. And it's, it's a good Thanksgiving holiday story because from what I understand, um, I don't want to call your sister out, but your sister was not vegetarian before. No. Right? And I don't want to attribute entirely to your influence because I know um, her husband is also yes. vegetarian and you know is 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 Hindu. Yes. And, and I think he was Jane. raised vegetarian, right? Yes. Yeah, so... He actually, and, uh, and he's a great guy. I he went him. on a spree of eating animals for like three <gasps> months. Recently? Not recently. Oh, a long time And then ago. he came to the conclusion. Because I think wrong. he said, I want to come to this conclusion on my own. And he wow. was like, this, this is messed up. Man, I got to hang out that guy. Yeah, I he's awesome. He's, he's a, a really, guy. he's he's awesome. Yeah. And my sister is very, I mean, they're, they're just a very loving, kind family. And my, yeah, they are. My niece too. <laughs> yeah, no, I've, I've, I've talked to your sister and you know, like in certain tough moments in your life, you know, I've talked to her and I've always felt like no matter what's going on, yeah. she, she, she does love you. A lot. Definitely. That, she loves you a lot. Yes. A lot. You know, and you yeah. should always be grateful for that. Even if you're fighting with her, just remember. And she you loves know what? You. Touchwood, we haven't gotten a fight in a long time. And I just That's think great. like she really, yeah, uh, she just really respects me. And also I think kids bring everybody together. They do. Because like as busy as I am, I always, I love those kids more than like life itself. Yeah. I love them like my, you know, like Oliver. Like, yeah, like I, I love them so much. I mean, dogs bring people together too. I yes, mean, especially exactly. young children. I mean, teenagers, not so much, but <laughs> yeah. young children, you got like a five-year-old kid. It's just hard to be that nasty. <laughs> yeah. You know, I feel like kids are kind of like monks. You know, I had Robert on the podcast recently, Robert Yamada and uh, his robes yeah. and, you know, like, and when you're around a monk, everything just kind of changes. You yes. just can't, it's hard to be an asshole around a monk because it's <laughs> like, right. I, you know, this guy's like fasting and, you know, wearing this robe and is meditating and, and, you know, trying to show kindness to everyone. And who am I to be a dick? Yeah. You know, you're just, it's really, and, and like, I feel like kids are kind of like that too. The Definitely. Kids, they're so innocent and they just, they're vulnerable. They and, assume good faith in yeah, everybody. And they, and they don't, they don't have the same malice. It's actually, that's, that's why that's the, that's the thing. I think young children and monks are similar. And that we just don't think of them as malicious individuals. And that's true of animals, too. We don't think, like, all the games and rumor mongering and gossiping and resentfulness and bitterness in normal human interactions. I won't say, you know, normal in the sense that it's common, not that it's good or that we should be allowing it to be normal. But it's just, it is the case. If you're a human being on the planet Earth today, there's a good chance your interactions with other human beings have a lot of negativity. But when it comes to dogs or monks or young children, I mean, even if they're upset or they do something that's wrong, like a little kid throws something, smashes something, or cries and gets angry, we understand it's coming from a very simple place. Yeah. They're scared. They're hungry. Um, they want their mom. Aww. You know, it's, it's just... And so we, we don't judge them for it. Like, yeah. you don't... Who... I mean, I guess there are some assholes. We'll see, like, a three-year-old child crying, saying, like, what an annoying kid. <laughs> but to me, you know, children and animals and, and monks, too, represent the best in us yeah. and, and represent who we could be if we just followed our simple hearts. Oh, that's that. I love that. Yeah. The way you put that. Yeah. I think that's, 
that's how kids make me feel and, and animals too. Yeah. But you know, I just, I wanted to shout out you. The reason I said that is because as, as great as it is that Kabir has changed the dynamics between you and your sister and as great as I know the love your sister has for you is, I also think it's been great just how much influence you've had on your family. And we should talk about that a little bit because especially around Thanksgiving, a lot of yeah. people struggle, you know, whether it's you're an activist who doesn't like the idea of celebrating a holiday that involves the murder of so many indigenous people, whether you're an animal rights supporter who's terrified by the fact that 46 million turkeys mm. are killed just for this holiday. 46 million on one day. Yeah. That's more than the entire population of California. Yeah. That's horrible. Isn't that absurd? It's absurd, especially when you think about the essence of the holiday. That, that does make me really mad. Yeah, because it's all about compassion and connection and family. Yeah. And we're taking so many living creatures and torturing them and ripping to, them from their families. Go to go to do a protest right now. Oh, screw protests. Let's go do a rescue. Right yeah. Now. I mean, every one of these animals needs to be rescued for sure. Yeah. And we've seen that. I mean, like, our second open rescue was Diesel Turkey yeah. Ranch. And it's still... Like, I that think, place was horrible. I've had a, I had a special, I had a one of a kind experience in that location where I just, yeah, I will never forget. Yeah, we'll tell people about that. Well, when we walked inside of these diesel farms, um, I well, actually, first before you tell us your experience at diesel, what is diesel? Diesel is a, a top-rated um, turkey farm that supplies to Whole Foods, and mm-hmm. when we, yeah, so we went on a DXC did an investigation. I forget what year, twenty seventeen. 2015, 2015. Girl. Sorry, my sense of time is not the best. I, although I, everything is like before or after Oliver. So yeah, that makes yeah. sense. No, 2015. Yeah, that makes I, sense. January 2015 was the first open rescue. Yes. And then November 2015 was the second and my mom died right Aww. after that happened. Yeah. Wow, so your memory is incredible, me. Wayne. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that was an insanely difficult week. Yeah, me. that was very difficult. Yeah, because thinking about all the animals we saw suffering at Diesel and then my mom Wow. Dies. She did get to see that open rescue though and she was proud of us. Yeah. So, but yeah. So Diesel's, it's actually not just one at the top, but literally three out of 2,000 farms had a five plus rating. Yeah, and this was... And Diesel is one of them, one yes. of the three. So yeah, we, we did an investigation there and I don't remember who else was... Oh, I think, yeah, it was you, me, I think Kitty, Diane, and another person, Sapphire maybe. Samar? Yeah, maybe Samar. Um, but I just remember you and I walking inside of this farm um, and I had a coughing attack I could not breathe yeah. and I had to like, I had to leave one of these barns because the, you know, the air quality is just horrible and I, I couldn't breathe. And I, I think I had like stuff inside my lungs nice, for the yeah. next week and I could feel it when I, when I was breathing and just to imagine that this is what, you know, this is how these turkeys are, are living. Like that's their entire life. And I will never forget this one turkey who we were unable to take because it was just like a high pressure. It's a high pressure. It was a high pressure situation, especially this one. Cause I think we got, we might've gotten some like messages about, you know, just uh, being safe where we were, or in, we're trying not obviously trying not to get caught in the middle of the night. So Wayne and I saw this one turkey. I don't know if you remember her, but she was gasping for mm-hmm. air. Literally. This is the one that was like right around yes, the corner of the door. Right at yeah. the door. And I was like, I really want to take her. And we, we couldn't. And I will never forget that, you know, just having to leave her behind. It was horrible. It was like, yeah, it was gut-wrenching because I still remember that moment as if it happened yesterday. And just there's just something really powerful about when we can experience what animals are experiencing, even though that the scale of what I experienced was really nothing compared to 
you know, what these turkeys have to go through every single day of their lives, what the animals have to go through. But the fact that she was unable to breathe and I was unable to breathe, it was very evident to me, you know, what's happening here because I, I felt it. If I, if I stayed in that barn, I, I think I might have, might have had like an asthma attack or something. It was, yeah. I was coughing. Yeah. And you don't have asthma or anything. No, I, I, I was, was pretty shocked that day. Yeah. I was coughing like, and I yeah. had to stop myself cause you know, we're, we're trying not to make a lot of noise. So it was really, it was, yeah, it was really fucked up situation. Yeah. You, I think you actually had to leave the barn. And, I, yeah. and the reason for that is when you have, you know, thousands and thousands of animals who for many months and uh, in many ways, turkeys have it even worse than chickens. Chickens are horribly abused and they live an awful life, but they only live for six weeks and the amount of shit and ammonia and urine that can fill the air and cover the ground of a farm is not as filthy and disgusting as a turkey farm where, you know, sometimes it's, it's many months. Uh, I'm trying to remember, I think Typically with the hens, so which are the female turkeys, they're all gender sorted or sex sorted, I should say. With hens, I think it's three months. And with, with toms, it's up to six months. So you'll see hens being slaughtered at like 20 weeks. Mm. And sometimes with toms, it's 30 weeks or even beyond. And it, it varies quite a bit based on the breed. Do but you remember you have, we had to peel out a few turkeys? Yeah, like I mean, there's video footage of that, right? Or, like, of, yeah, like of turkeys just stuck in piles of shit, shit. And, yeah. and feces and, and urine and ammonia. But ammonia is a, is a very kind of toxic chemical that um, is secreted from our bodies in digestion. You want to get rid of it because it's, and you know, you've probably heard the term ammonia burn, and, and it does burn. And what you were feeling in that day was probably the burn of the ammonia, because I felt it too. You know, it's not a comfortable feeling, uh, but it's a result of these animals living in their own excrement oh, God. month after month after month. And... Wow. It's it's not just you know our experience. This is not just anecdotal because if you recall, a number of the turkeys we rescued from that farm, you know, little babies, little peeping Aww. babies, they died from a disease called aspergillosis. Mm -hmm. And aspergillosis is a disease of the, of the respiratory tract. It's mm -hmm. when your respiratory tract is damaged and um, your immune system is compromised, and all of the fungus and 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 mold that you're breathing into the air from the feces from the the, you know, the disgusting rot that's spreading into the farm and the ammonia that's burning your lungs gets into your respiratory tract and grows uncontrollably. And you literally just die from asphyxiation. You can't breathe anymore oh like one day. And so what you went through on that day is what happens to literally millions upon millions of turkey babies, not just turkeys, because usually aspergillosis kills the babies because, you know, babies don't have the strongest lungs, Aww. you know, and it's, when we say this is a disturbing holiday for people who care about animals, this is why. Yeah. Right? Because supposedly we're giving thanks, but to the animals of this earth, we're not giving thanks. We're taking their lives. We're taking their well-being. We're taking everything we're from taking them. We're taking their families. And we're taking their families. Celebrating yeah. with, you know, celebrating with our own. Yeah. And I, you know, it's just, when you look at the numbers, it's, it's not just that particular farm. And that particular farm had a mass outbreak of aspergillosis because the air quality was so bad. And again, this is a five plus rated farm and, um, and a farm that's a complete sham too, because they were using like a fake farm to advertise their products. Literally yeah, they that. had like a marketing farm and then a real farm. And I still, it's, it's bizarre to me to this day that 
there's been almost no accountability. I mean, there were some newspapers that reported on it, you know, the Washington Post and the Wall Street Journal reported on it. Originally, we were supposed to be on ABC News, but it got killed because Diesel pulled some and Whole Foods pulled some shenanigans right before the story was going to break. We still got in two out of the three biggest newspapers in the world, the Wall Street Journal and the Washington Post. And both of them reported on the fact that, hey, you know, that wonderful Whole Foods turkey that you think is being raised in a grassy pasture, an idyllic farm, you know, from birth to death, living with their family in this beautiful flock and slaughtered in a humane way. That is a sham. And we had documentary proof of this because Michael Goldberg was one of the ones who was researching the farm and found that because of water quality issues, they were not actually even allowed. They disclosed the California Water Board, you know, because this is a company that's killing like millions of turkeys. And if they've been killing millions of turkeys at the site where they were supposedly raising the animals in a humane way, it would have contaminated the water. It doesn't matter how humane it is. And this is one of the things that people don't have to understand. When you're talking about 46 million turkeys, I don't care how you yeah. do that. It is going to be, I don't care. I don't care whether you're putting them in grassy pastures or you're stuffing them in factory farms. 46 million turkeys are going to create a massive amount of environmental damage. They're going to cause a massive amount of sickness, like avian flu that's spreading across the country today. And it is inevitably going to be horrific when you see them die. Because I don't care how you kill 46 million individual living creatures. I don't care if you're, you know, as Gary Francione used to put it, I don't care if you're playing a violin to them on their, on their path to slaughter. It's going to look bad. And it is bad. So, and I hope more people learn this. Yeah. I was just at Trader Joe's the other day and I saw a turkey that said young turkey and it made me cry. Mm. That's creepy. It a is young so turkey? creepy. And then it, honestly, what it made me think about is like, it's just so like, it, 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 it's, it, it's giving pedophile. Like, that's so weird. Yeah, it is a it's weird like young vibe. turkey. That's yeah. so weird. Like, why are people, why are people buying this? Like that, that alone would make me think this is, a, you know, it's a very disturbing that, that is weird because I think yeah, like it's like and it's young big, turkey in big too. letters too. Yeah, go to Trader Joe's and check it out. It says young turkey. Wow. And that's yeah. like their marketing. Like that's like that's like a that's something that they're proud of. <laughs> yeah. You know, the weird thing about that is I think feel like most of the time when animal products are being marketed, they're marketed in a way that kind of distances the fact that this is actually a living being. Yeah. When you market turkey as young turkey. I think it's reconnecting us to the fact that this is a living being and not just a living being, but a baby. What do you, what do you think they're trying to do? Cause that's so weird. Like what, why is that a marketing plus? Like, I don't get it. My guess is it's because like, did you ever eat Turkey? I think I did. Yeah. Unfortunately. So I, I eat a lot of Turkey. Mm. Um, you know, cause we're trying to play white, like yeah. every Chinese. Family I know. I remember my, so my we do aunt, the yeah. Thanksgiving thing. I like, know. Oh, I guess you're supposed to eat Turkey on Thanksgiving. I mean, we never eat Turkey. Otherwise, like I, yeah. I don't think, Chinese people don't eat turkey as really? far as I can okay, tell. I didn't no, know. no, no. I've never heard of Chinese people eating turkey other than Chinese people in the United States trying to celebrate Thanksgiving and failing. But uh, so I, I just remember it always being kind of dry compared to chicken. Yeah. And I'm guessing that the idea of young turkey is Ew. that it's juicier. Because usually when you think about young flesh. Oh, my God. That's so disgusting. It's true. I mean, like veal, that's um, so lamb. That's disgusting. Oh, my God. Like gosh. if you think about the difference between lamb and mutton, it's like a softer, juicier flesh. Oh. Because it hasn't 
it's not old and like tenuous and and stretched that out. That is so disgusting. Like yeah, honestly, if weird. you think about that, that's like literally like the mentality of a pedophile. Like that's so yeah. messed up. Oh my gosh, that's it's disgusting. Weird. It's weird. <laughs> the, yeah, and and when you think about like the more you learn about this, because you know among the many things we we found even at this five plus rated farm is I don't know if you remember this, but there was one farm, one shed where we found. 7% of these babies had died in a single week. Mm -hmm. 7%. Yes, yeah, I remember that. Like that's, it's like mass decimation. And so one of the reasons they slaughter them after a few months and they have to slaughter them while they're babies is because they're all just dying off because we're taking these incredibly vulnerable, innocent creatures who are, are incredibly friendly too. I mean, that's another thing that most people don't know about turkeys. Chickens are their own thing. And, you know, I, I love chickens. They're beautiful creatures, but... Most chickens raised for food. Well, actually, it's not true. Broiler chickens are pretty friendly. But compared to a turkey, I mean, turkeys are like dogs. They're so, yeah, they like, they like tummy rubs. Mm -hmm. they, 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 they come up to you and they're just so curious. Yeah. And they um, have this obsession with shiny objects. Yeah. Oh, Birdie. I miss having Birdie here. Aw, Birdie. Yeah, I'll put in the She's show notes so a video about Birdie. Yeah. So I had, a, I had a turkey in my house for... <laughs> San Francisco apartment. Yeah, San Francisco. It was the, the San Francisco turkey, and, and she and I were having the best time in the world. And, but she was just so friendly, and she like, was jumping on my, on my lap. She was asking me for belly scratches, and they really are like dogs, you know? Um, yeah, it's a bad holiday. It's a bad holiday. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, let's, let's, let's think about more positive things. Like, how have you tried to approach the holidays as someone who cares about animals like how did you get to the point where jazz meat and a lot of your family members and like i've um so this year my family is kind of going we're celebrating thanksgiving celebrating thanksgiving on sunday because uh, my sister's daughters are with like her husband's family and uh, my dad's spending thanksgiving with his wife's family which is my stepmom so everyone's kind of this year celebrating thanksgiving with the other side of the family and so i don't um, but we are celebrating Thanksgiving on Sunday, and it's going to be an all plant-based Thanksgiving. And I think you've been able to do the same thing, right? Well, yeah. Do you even celebrate Thanksgiving? So we don't, Indian don't really people do don't it. really like celebrate Thanksgiving that much unless okay. they've been whitewashed. But I, yeah. I do think um, my older sister has a um, Thanksgiving celebration. She does have a vegetarian Thanksgiving yeah. because their family's vegetarian. I think not not just, you know, limited to but we have actually celebrated Thanksgiving together as a family, and um, yeah, and, and it was all vegan. Yeah. The one, the one, the one time we did it together. Yeah, great. And that's just like a part of my the larger effort of um, inspiring my family to become, you know, become more compassionate towards animals and inspiring them to become vegan in, in general. And we just have come come around to the point where they don't eat animals around me. Yeah, my family does not eat animals around me. And my mom is actually like 90% vegan. Yeah. Um, and the, I guess, it, it, honestly, it's been a hard journey. <laughs> it's been very, very difficult. And I think a, a, several things have contributed to them um, not eating animals around me. And even more importantly than that, coming together to have like a vegan thing, vegan Thanksgiving celebration or any celebration for us, like all these celebrations are very similar when we come together, whether it's for Christmas or Thanksgiving or, or our own holidays. And, and that is 
I think they honestly have met so many of my friends mm. <laughs> that they're like, okay, you know, these people are these people are kind people who are trying to yeah. help change the world. Yeah. And they do, and whether or not they agree with the tactics or like all the stuff, they res- there's something they really respect. They really respect me and they really respect people who um, who they've met because they know that we're trying to help animals. And I don't know anybody who looks down upon that, and yeah. especially Indian people. I mean, that's just a value for us that we've grown up with Yeah, because of... Buddhism, Hinduism, Sikhism, people respect people who, you know, care about animals. My family is Sikh and Sikh people are supposed to be vegetarian. Yeah. And I think that was also like a le- like a leverage point for me where I was like, we are not supposed. And I think one time I actually got into an argument with my dad. I was like, the only Sikh person over here is me because I'm the only one who's like, <laughs> don't, you know, like I, I don't eat animals and I'm a warrior for the animals and Sikh people are supposed to be warriors and yeah. so it's kind of hard to argue they're supposed to be warriors kind of defending the vulnerable yeah and just there's like Sikh, a very you know, yeah Sikh yeah. people are literally supposed to be warriors of Deep justice sense of responsibility and yeah and um and i and anytime i like i could have done it in better ways but anytime my parent you know my parents tried to like disagree with my lifestyle i would just say i'm literally doing what you know, the Sikh forefathers set out to do. Like, that's like, that. that's the essence of what I'm trying to do is create a world where uh, we're protecting the weak, the weak and vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, not everyone obviously has a Sikh background that they can rely on to try and convince their family members to have a plant-based Thanksgiving or to become more supportive of animal rights. What I think we all do have, and I think there's two lessons I would draw from the story you just shared, which are very relevant to my story too, because you're always going to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. You know, no one's going to get it perfect. Hey, Oliver. Oliver's trying to steal my cat's food. No way, buddy. It's not your food. But there, there are two lessons I think that can be drawn from the story you just told that I think are useful for anybody who's trying to influence not just your family members, but anybody in your life in a positive way. And not just for animal rights, but in other areas too. If you're... Family members are a little bit homophobic um, and don't quite understand gay marriage. Or, you know, if you're trying to get them convinced that climate change is a real issue and they should be more supportive of the climate movement. One is, it's not just about you, it's about your broader social network, right? That I found this to be pretty incredibly effective too. And I think I've told this before. One I, of the like, things, I like what you say to your family. That's really cool. Yeah. No, but, but one of the things that really did influence my family was just meeting my friends yeah. who are animal rights supporters. Well, you, know? you also tell your family like, hey, I've taken this, I made this commitment to, to, you know, other people and I have to uphold that. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, people in the East and Chinese people, Indian people really do have this deep sense of community responsibility. When you make a commitment to your community, you've got to uphold it. Yeah. That's and so really- I tell my family, look, this isn't about me or you anymore. This is about a deeper commitment to the community around me yeah that i i don't i'm not entitled to violate this anymore and you know i love you and i want to be around you and especially around the holidays and i think people have respected that but that only works if they actually know your community and they understand they're good people and i think for both of us like when my parents met you and john and, and all the folks in the early stages at dxc they felt the same way they thought these are good people yeah like they're trying to make the world a better place yeah how could we not support a commitment to these people yeah, in this community. Yeah, I know my family felt that way when they met you. <laughs> yeah, I, I love your dad and your mom. I mean, I think they're awesome people. Yeah. And I've always had, they've always been so respectful, not just respectful, but fucking supportive, yeah. you know? Like, and I know you've had 
your tiss <laughs> of your dad. You know, you've had some disputes yeah. about this sort of thing. In my experience, in his heart, yes, he's a champion for the animals. Totally, you should tell him that of a holiday. Say, say like Wayne has talked to you a lot and knows you. Yes, and Wayne feels like he's that. his insight into your heart. And Wayne believes my that dad you're is a champion very kind-hearted. He's not just a champion for the animals; he's a champion for anyone who's an underdog. Yeah, like I really think he's the sort of person who sees yes. somebody who's the underdog. Yeah. Um, he's he's been the underdog in his life too. He's yeah. shared this with me. Yeah. You know, he knows we have to fight for the underdog, and the animals are certainly the underdog. So that's one thing. You know, just exposing them to broader social networks. So, and yeah, I think this is true of a lot of issues, right? That, like, if uh, it's one of the reasons why gay marriage has become this nonpartisan thing. Even the Republican Senate, the Republican <laughs> Party, voted for gay marriage. That's amazing. Like, you know, less than ten years ago, Barack Obama was saying, "Na na na." No yeah. gay marriage for me. That's so wild. What yeah, I'm pretty sure 2012, like I think in 2012, Barack Obama yeah, you're right. still supported the Defense of Marriage Act, which made marriage federally only something that could be between a man and a woman. And today, you have all these Republican senators, some deeply conservative senators. You have Dick Cheney. Dick yeah. Cheney of all people. <laughs> well, isn't, He's he, like the, isn't he kind of gay? No, Dick Cheney, that's his daughter. Oh, okay. Bree's going to start some rumors about Dick Cheney now. There were a lot of Republicans who were secretly gay. Dick Cheney was not one of them. His daughter, uh, Mary Cheney, was gay. But Dick Cheney was like the face of evil for yeah. the left for yeah. Yeah, a decade, you know? I mean, this is kind of before your time because you moved. Actually, you moved to the United I, well, States heard, right after 9 11. Yes. So you were bearing the brunt of Dick Cheney's wrath. I used to listen to Eminem, and Eminem used to clown on Dick Cheney. Dick Cheney, yeah, there's that famous song, right? Um, Without Me. Without right? Me. Yeah, what does he say about Dick Cheney? Uh, I don't know, but it's funny. I used word? to know that song by heart. Yeah, Eminem, Dick Cheney. Oh my God, I, I want to look, look it up. this up now. Eminem, Dick Cheney. All right. It's definitely from the song Without Me, which I think is still one of the greatest songs in rap history. It's probably super offensive, and mm -hmm. my apologies if anyone thinks it's you know, inappropriate. Okay. Wow. All right. This is, this is a pretty foul song. <laughs> I don't think I can even say this lyric. All right. I don't, let's go on. I'm, I think I'm not going to... You know, that same song, uh, I'm pretty sure he disses Moby in this song. Yeah, That's Moby, he, he takes out, like, half the people, like, in Hollywood. All right, wait, 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 no, here it is. Without me lyrics. Now, this looks Shame. like a job for me, so everybody, just follow me, because we need a little controversy. That's a good song for you and me, too. Without me? Now, this huh. looks like a job for me, so everybody just follow me because we need a little controversy because it feels it so empty, empty without me. me. I think that's a good song for you. It's a good song for Wayne, right? Wait, what Don't is, you all agree? Isn't there there's a lyric about Dick Cheney in that song? No, there, I know there's a lyric about Dick Cheney in that song. Let me try to find it. Without me lyrics. All right, folks, bear with us now. We've got a very important lyric. Um, you know, I've always thought Eminem could be an animal rights activist. Eminem, yeah, I think so too. I don't know why, uh, because there's something about him. He likes the under. He likes to protect the underdog too. I think he's kind of like that. Oh, okay, yeah, here it is. You waited this long. Now stop debating, because I'm back. I'm on the brag and ovulating. <laughs> I know that you got a job, Miss Cheney, but your husband's heart, heart problems complicating. complicating. See, FDCC won't, won't let me be. be. You so let, let me be me, so let me, be me. So let me see. see. They try to shut me down on MTV, but it feels so empty without me. me. Yeah, so it's actually <laughs> Miss Cheney. That's actually not that bad. Okay. okay. I, I saw another lyric that was a lot worse. So anyways, needless to say, Dick Cheney was the face of evil, and Eminem was even ragging him in the 2000s. Eminem got called out for being homophobic, too, and he's not he like was. that. was. I think he apologized to Elton John or whatever. Did he? Yeah, oh, I think he him. did, because then, like, then they did like a song together. 
Yeah, they did do a song together. Yep. I think that's a really good song too. Yeah. Right. Like, cause I think Eminem just like he he's like one of those people. <clears throat> it's so weird the way I talk about Eminem. I swear to God, he was like my first boyfriend because I learned wow. so much about him and like through his lyrics and songs and all these yeah. movies and everything. Was, wait, a, did you know about him in India or when you came no, to the United when States? No, I was, when, yeah, yeah, I was obsessed with him when I was 13. It's funny because like my parents didn't care either, even though his songs were so vulgar. Like they yeah. knew I loved Eminem. Everybody knew I loved Eminem and Tupac. Those wow. Were so were your parents didn't care? No. Because they don't have the same like. Understanding? They didn't like un- understand this like rated R, all of that. They didn't yeah. care. They were just like, oh yeah, Priya, Priya loves Eminem. Okay. Um, I think my dad would say like, that's a little vulgar, but like whatever. Huh. Okay. Um, but honestly i think it's because i listened to eminem and tupac i i, I became very independent minded because i was like it's kind of a cool thing to be like an outlaw you know like different like it's I, I like it um yeah he is just the type of person who doesn't like people telling him what to do so if you tell him like don't do that he's gonna do it but yeah. in his heart i don't think he's you know i don't think he it's like a hateful person yeah. He loves his daughter. And that's what I think really made me think like, this is a good person. Yeah, he does love his daughter. I think I've heard some songs by him. Yeah. I mean, he's a genius too. Like yeah, he's, he's just legitimately smart. one of the most brilliant artists yeah, in, he, in the history of music. I, yeah. I think he'll go down. I mean, obviously there's a lot of amazing hip hop artists and yeah. rappers, but there, there is something uniquely beautiful about his, his flow. Yeah. He, is, they, that, is that how the young people put it nowadays? I don't even know. Well, I, and I'm also not, like, I'm I mean, not, there is something to be said about how, like in all this controversy, closer to oh sorry, in all this controversy, like I, I, people don't see Eminem. I mean, he he's a white person in a predominantly black industry, but the way he's done it, yeah, he's tried to bring people together instead of like, and he's acknowledged that too. Like he's like, I yeah, that's he acknowledges he's acknowledged his privilege and said like, look at me, like look at me. I'm, yeah, honestly, I think probably by the time you came to the United States, you came to the United States in in two thousand one, right? Yeah, was it a week before or a week after nine eleven? It was like right uh, it before was, or after? Oh, it was a few months, actually. After or before? Uh, before. Before. We, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. And, and the reason I said Dick Cheney was going after people is because, you know, see people wear the yes. the headdress. Or what do you call it? The yeah, turban? Yeah, the turban. Yeah. So, and it's it's not actually Muslim. It's, no. But everyone thinks you're Muslim and they target you. And even so there many, was like, there are mass killings so at many temples people, after this. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, confused white people. <laughs> trying to punish Muslims killed Sikh people, Sikh people yeah. instead because they're brown. And they've Which got is a, horrible to do that they've to got anyone. A turban. Um, but Dick Cheney was obviously one of the architects wow. for the Iraq war and the war on terror, which ended up sweeping up so many American citizens and, and non-citizens. Like there's still people, I think, in Guantanamo Bay to this day. It's horrible. It's shocking. 21 years later, I think I heard a story about somebody who finally was released so with no charges against him at all. After 21 years, no conviction, no evidence of any criminal conduct. They just thought, this person doesn't like America. They seem like the sort of person who's sketchy. And honestly, after you've taken some of them to Guantanamo and you've tortured them for five years, then they actually are kind of a threat. They probably are because you've done so much to them that they're going to want to kill you and your people because <laughs> you took them away from their families. You tortured them. That's horrible. And Dick Cheney was the person responsible for all this. But even, and here's the good point. Here's the, here's the positive side of the story. Even Dick Cheney now, says he supports gay marriage. Yeah. It just so shows if Dick you... if Cheney can support gay marriage, then all of us can change and evolve and grow. That is very hopeful. <laughs> yeah. And Eminem would agree because... I don't know. What does the lyrics We say? should send this uh, to Eminem. <laughs> Your heart, husband's heart problem is complicating, but it's not so complicated and not so complicating that he can't change. Yeah. He's still got a heart. 
at least when your daughter's gay, because his daughter's gay, and that's a big part of it. So I, 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 we ran very far afield. I originally said there's, I thought there were two things from your story about, you know, how you yes. influence your family. One is just expanding your social network and making sure, you know, because a lot of people <laughs> reminded that Seinfeld episode. Did you watch Seinfeld at all? There's this really dumb episode of Seinfeld where George, one of the goofy characters, is talking about how his worlds are colliding because he's got like his girlfriend world in his friend world, oh. right? And when it, his girlfriend starts hanging out with his friends, he oh. talks about, my worlds are colliding. This is terrible. I don't want this to happen. A lot of us have silos in our social networks. And, you know, to some extent, I think that's fine. It's, it's good, you know, like yeah. to have like distinct identities and different groups. But I also think it's good to bring those silos together I love sometimes. when people, like all my groups come together. Yeah, no, it's a beautiful thing. And that's they my learn favorite from each thing. Other. It is. It's a beautiful it. thing. And oh. I think too many of us live in these silos. Even if, well, first of all, too many of us don't even have one silo because people are so isolated and lonely. Oh, but so even sad. to the extent people have communities, they're keeping them very distinct. Like your family's in one bucket, your friends are in another bucket, your coworkers are another bucket. And when you bring those networks together, they can have positive influences on each other and people can understand another side of you. And it's sometimes as simple as just inviting people over. Yeah. Like just invite people from bucket one and bucket two, from silo A and silo B. I think people and get so anxious, like what if this happens and that, but usually, you know, it, it works out. Yeah, it does work out. And it helps people. It does work out. Cause it's, it's just whatever people think about activists or whatever activists think about non-activists. Like so there's so many vegans who have an unnecessarily judgmental and, and really just kind of toxic attitude towards non-vegans. That's just not helpful in my view. Yeah. And again, I'm not saying, and this, this is relates to my second point about your story uh, of influencing your family and getting to the point where like your little nephew is even saying, <laughs> you know, anyone who eats animals is stupid, but, and that is, well, you want to bring people together. You also want to be honest. Yes. Like doesn't mean you have to be mean, but better to be mean and honest than to than, be dishonest. Than nice and, and, and a liar, yeah. you know, but, and that is something you do very well. <laughs> <laughs> like whether you like it or not priya is going to tell you what she thinks i do and i think that's that's one of the powerful well that's things. one of the things you taught me wayne because i, I really? don't think i, I always feel like you're always like that really i hmm. thought you're a pretty honest person okay i don't know i've definitely learned a lot from you well maybe just being like more compassionate um yeah but yeah i've definitely because I, I i think sometimes i want to be open but then i'll just like mm. not do it but then i'm like i should have done it Huh. Should have done it. Should have been honest. Well, no, there's situations like, I mean, I know there was a situation with one of your friends yes. recently, like, and we're probably thinking about the same yes. situation. It doesn't matter. And like that friend, I don't want to, you know, personal yeah. stuff. But I love her for the record. <laughs> I don't think you're, you're always, you, you come out openly, but I don't think you live yeah. very often. No. You don't just outright lie. No, I try. Right? Which is something that is rare, unfortunately, because I think we're kind of taught to lie. Yeah, it is. And, you know, we're told, oh, it's a little white lie. And just so e even in that situation, it's not like you said, oh, I'm okay with this. You you weren't necessarily completely candid about. Yeah. And it, I'm sorry to not give context, but, I, you know, someone else's story. and That's okay. I mean, it's yeah. just a story where um, I didn't know we were going to be eating animals around my friend. Yeah. And, and so you just kind of left the table. Yeah. Rather than telling them why. Yeah. But you didn't lie and say, like, I'm no. fine with this. And honestly. I sent a text right after. Yeah. In my view, if you... If you are unhappy and you are feeling either, you know, personally uncomfortable or even just ethically compromised, better to not say anything and just depart. Yeah. Um, than to just stomach it, you know, because it, if you feel like, and this is one of the lessons we should learn from like the Sam Bankman Freed episode with this crypto vegan tycoon that compromising your ethics for some 
short-term game usually isn't worth it. In no, fact, I don't think it's it's basically never. Honestly, worth it. like her, I so my friend, we ended up having a really good conversation afterwards because mm. I told her I was like, "Hey, we should talk about this because I really value your friendship and I love animals and I just want you to hear my perspective and honestly, I want to hear my your perspective too." And her feedback was so on point because it's I, I i told my other friend i was like there's only two valid criticisms from her yeah and the exact two things that i thought were where we messed where i messed up were the two things she brought up she said i really wish you had said something in like at in the location yeah. and in the moment than to just like not bring it up and it, it's just a lesson like that's what literally what she she and i yeah. said so w- would it have helped you if i had said hey i really don't feel comfortable like you know um sitting here eating animals i've taken this pledge and also like i've done sitting here watching other people eat animals. watching other sorry watching other people eat animals and she was like yeah like i could sense the discomfort and like the dishon you know the like what was making you uncomfortable and it was just been so much nicer if you guys could have just like vocalized that and i was like that's that's great yeah because instead what you did was you just left yeah so what i did okay so the thing is i was already gonna leave Mm -hmm. and in my head i would have definitely said something but her partner was there for the first time so i was really trying to like calculate in my head and i made the wrong calculation Calculation. i was like okay because i just got the sense that like uh, she's gonna stop being friends with me but the reality is if that's what's like it would have happened either way if she was gonna stop being friends with me it would have happened either way so it's better it's always better if you're more honest yeah because actually she was even more hurt by the fact that you just left inexplicably yeah and And i think even though we kind of you know explained afterwards in a way that felt abrasive and insulting to her yeah. and her partner. So even though I, I did say I had to leave 15 minutes earlier, she was like, You're, you just looked so sad and like horrified on your face. And um, and I did. I don't think I was trying to hide that. I was just like, yeah. I, I have to go. Yeah, and I think, you know, I mean, for, for folks who are not deeply involved in animal rights and animal suffering, they might not understand because they are still caught up. Like we were talking about the young turkey thing, you know. When you think about young turkey, you're thinking about literally a beautiful little baby bird chirping on your hand who you're caring for. Uh, and then you're imagining someone coming in and clubbing her over the head and slitting her throat and then eating her. It can know? be really traumatizing. That's, that's, that's not a difficult, that's, a, that's not an easy thing to go through when you're trying to just enjoy yourself and eat. Mm. And I do think, and this relates to this thing called the Liberation Pledge that both of us take. I don't think the principal reason to take the Liberation Pledge is your personal discomfort. No. I, you know, a lot of people have used it for that purpose, no. but I also don't think it's a wrong reason. Yeah. I don't think it's, it's, it's a bad thing, mostly because, not because I think it's your personal discomfort or comfort should be what determines what the right or wrong thing to do in a situation is, but because expressing your personal dump discomfort is the, and, and leaving a situation like that is the right thing to do because it's honest. Yeah. Because it is honest. Yeah. And, and being honest is the right thing yeah, to do. Yeah, because when you do things that are disingenuous, like, honestly, I feel such lack of respect for myself. I feel so dirty. Like, I I still look back at that situation and I'm just like, I don't yeah. like it. Because, I mean, but there's certain things that make you who you are. And I think what makes me who I am, or at least part of it, is just being, like, honest and direct and, you know for better or worse, sometimes confrontational. And I just, it's funny, like when it comes to your friends and like protecting other people's feelings, sometimes we just, yeah, sometimes we, that, that, that instinct to just like be liked is so strong. Yeah. I, I certainly modern leftist culture has fed into this, this mentality that you, you should not say what you actually think. You should say whatever is performative. I mean, even the thing about Thanksgiving, we started this conversation. Yeah. When people say, oh yeah, I don't support Thanksgiving. Yeah. There's a performative element to that. It's just, it's like this, 
this flag you're flying instead of actually substantively doing something to address yeah. the problem. If you think about, if you think about what actually matters to making the world a better place and making our lives better, it's usually not symbols and flags. It's substantive work, yeah. you know? And if, if we really do care about the violence around Thanksgiving, whether it's to animals or, or, or to human beings historically and in the present, instead of just worrying about whether someone's thanking Thanksgiving or not, we could actually try to rectify some of those injustices directly, yeah. you know, by going to find some of the communities, including non-human communities that are being absolutely ravaged by factory farming and trying to aid them. Yeah. We could try and prevent that from happening again. There's so many things you could do rather than being worried about what hashtag or what title someone's using on social media. But most of the discussion and most of our anxiety is about the form rather than the latter. It's about yeah. our, our rep reputation, our perception rather than what actually is going to exactly. help these people. And I think that's what bothers me about like the modern, the, this, this current culture that we live in, because if you think about it, corporations are very intelligent and oh, they yeah. can, they know how to use the, so the woke politics yeah. for performative purposes and to continue making more money. And what that does is it also manipulates people into thinking, wow, look at this, uh, you know, whole foods, just put up a trans flag. I don't know if that actually happened, but like they'll do this, you know, performative stuff, but it's, it's, it's so, it's just, it's, it's, it's performative and it's, it's like, it's doing exactly what we don't want. It's just using these ideas and, and the current culture to just like pat themselves on the back. But then at the end of the day, it's like, wh what's actually happening? What changes? I'm not saying that there isn't some value in companies, you know, stay, uh, showing support for LGBTQ trans folks, especially when they've had so much of the opposite. But at the end of the day, it's like, well, that's not really helping the victims like in, in any substantive way. Yeah, no, I think that's right. Um, Do you hear about what happened with Amazon recently, like with Jeff Bezos? No. So he announced, I, I mean, I know you know Jeff Bezos very well. Oh, yeah, I, I know him. We <laughs> go, go back. Me and Jeff. You know, I was just thinking to myself, me and Bezos you might be the way only, back. I wonder if you were the only person in the world. This, it's actually, this might actually be true. Wow. We should, we should, I want to kind of research this question. Yeah. You might be the only person <laughs> in the world who's shared a stage with both Jeff Bezos and Bernie Sanders. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great. They were not happy with you sharing wow. their stage, but that might be true. Wow. That might be true. You might be the only <laughs> person in the world. I really want to disrupt Elon Musk. So, uh, yeah, imagine that if you had Jeff and Bernie that would and be Elon. So satisfying. So, for the record, and actually, maybe I'll put this in the show notes too. Um, Priya did some. I actually was not the biggest fan of the Bernie disruption, honestly. The Jeff Bezos thing, I thought was awesome. Well, at least I didn't. Well, I mean, not that there's anything with taking your top off, but yeah, I mean. I never really liked the the Bernie thing from day one. It was always like mad in other people's campaign. Yeah. And I was like, why are you doing this? You know, and it's, and I did defend it. And I like, and I, it's not that I thought it was wrong. I thought it was ethically totally legitimate. And I, and I did think, look, it's always righteous when people are speaking truth to power, even if that's Bernie Sanders. And Bernie Sanders, what if you think about him? This is a very powerful man who has control of an enormous amount of resources and used a lot of those resources to hurt animals in the environment by, for example, bailing out and subsidizing the multi-billion dollar dairy industry yeah. in Vermont. But, you know, there's a campaign against Bernie Sanders to try and get him to include something about big ag and fighting big ag in his 
policy platform. Was it in 2020? Is yeah. that when you all disrupted I don't them? remember. Was it? I think it what was 2020. Was it? it was 2019. Or like it was... No, it was 2020. No, it wasn't 20. Was it, it was 2020? So it was after COVID when you did that disruption? This is the one... No, where... it was before COVID. What are you talking about? No, no, no. Yeah, so... Yeah, I don't know when it was. Yeah, you're right. It was 2019 then. It was 2019? So what happened was... This is in Vegas. Oh, yes. Wait, tell the story of what happened to Bernie Sanders. Wait, and then tell the story. Vegas? Tell the story of Bernie Sanders and then tell the story of Jeff Bezos. <laughs> okay, so Bernie Sanders. Um, there was a group of women uh, who... Well, a, a, a large group of people caravaned to i don't i don't even remember where it was but it was in nevada i don't think it was in vegas was it in vegas was it reno i think it was somewhere in nevada not too far from vegas but i don't remember i don't think it was in vegas how long was the drive because you drove there eight nine hours okay then it wasn't reno it must have been vegas yeah maybe it was yeah i just don't remember seeing all the vegas things but yeah anyway so it was in nevada somewhere and um bernie was you know there was a bernie sanders rally and um uh, we went to we essentially went to, um, you know, uh, show up and for for our campaign, let dairy die, mm. and uh, just and just for backdrop, Vermont is one of the biggest dairy states in the nation. Yeah. Ben and Jerry's has been a huge supporter of Bernie Sanders, a huge dairy company, and the founders of Ben and Jerry's have supported him immensely. Ben and Jerry's does a huge amount of greenwashing, humane washing mm-hmm. about dairy and the impact on both the environment and animals because the dairy industry and, and, you know, basically raising cattle in general, one of the biggest contributors to greenhouse gases and talking about happy cows. And, you know, we had actually been on site, I think in places like Vermont that supplied Ben and Jerry's finding awful conditions. I mean, as you'd see in any large dairy, because yeah. these are I, factories, mm-hmm. they're not farms. And so we were basically just trying to get Bernie to acknowledge the issue and say like, Hey, you say you're fighting for justice. What about the injustices inflicted on the world by big ag? So that was, is that an accurate yeah. statement of the nature of the campaign no, and why it. people are targeting him? Yeah, so, so I, like, so and I that all the mic sounds, away from Bernie Sanders. Yeah, well, 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 well wait, that's, you went fast. Like, okay. tell us about the lead up to this. How did you, so, and, and this is after years of basically disrupting him and getting, trying to get him to talk yeah. to animal rights activists and change his platform to include something about animals in factory farming, right? Yeah, so we were just at, yeah, we were at this rally and, um, we were, I mean, it was pretty crowded, but not, yeah, it was pretty crowded. So we just were trying to make our way up to the front. And um, honestly, I don't remember. I need to look at, did I, I think I'm, did I have to cross? Yeah, I think I had to jump on stage, but I don't think I had to like go over anything. Um, but there was like this uh, platform stage and I just went up to that went up on that and people were like what is she what is she doing and then i just made my Wait, so you just get there really early and you get to the front of the crowd is that how you when we were yeah when we were we got there when the crowd was already there so really? yeah we just so got, you just pushed through yeah <laughs> were people irritated yeah oh but you know when you are doing these type of actions you just like, have to go for it you just got to go for it and like yeah yeah it, okay the the best part about this <laughs> was um the getaway though that was the best part but anyway the getaway it wasn't a crime you committed priya sahani no you no, don't no, need no. To get away from it no, no no the way i like okay well i have to say it's been a long time but basically yeah i took the mic away from bernie and i said I, bernie i'm your biggest fan mm. what did i say afterwards i don't remember i mean maybe we can find like that. what is it what are the exact words I could probably find it. And then, like, a group of um, other activists took off their shirts. Gosh. So, and what did you think about that? You knew that was going to happen, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm very on? open <laughs> to yeah. pretty much anything. So, I, I usually, like, 
with tactics, I mean, I'm not, to me, like, I'm not as concerned about optics, maybe because, like, I'm not really coming from the press perspective, or maybe, you know, I know Matt's in the press team, so for him, it was a press-worthy action, which it is in many ways, but yeah, I'm not very concerned about optics, I usually just think, like, is this, and maybe it's a very simple-minded way of thinking, but I don't know, I, to me, I just think, like, yeah, I mean, if it's helping animals, if it's getting the word out, that's great, but I also understand when people you know, like, I understand your criticisms, because there's just going to be two camps of people in whatever you do. There's people who just, like, really carefully think about, like, everything, you know, optics, and, like, and, and, and press, and many different things, but then there's a group of people who just want to do it, do shit. They just want to do wild stuff, yeah. and I think I'm, I'm more, more in that camp. I'm not, <laughs> you know? I like how you just admit it. <laughs> yeah, like, I think, I think I'm just like, yeah, that sounds good, like, yeah. let's do it, and, but, I mean, to, obviously with me that does have its limits but i just think if you're doing it in a way that's compassionate and kind and i did say i'm your biggest fan Brian. so how did you yeah i actually have the exact quote it's in newsweek because it got a huge amount of media attention yeah. back in <laughs> ah so yeah this is oh this is right before covid this is february of 2020 whoa that's so like one right. month before covid oh my god the world. so that was 2020 yeah what february wow. 2020 um so, I mean, how did you get through all the security? You just walked up to the front and just like went underneath the line and no one stopped you? No, yeah. It was just a public rally. There's just but there wasn't of... like secret service agents and stuff? I mean, I'm sure they were there. Okay, but and we you just... just walked up the stage and then took the mic from Bernie. Yeah. Did you did you interact with him at all? Like, how what was your... Did you see no. anything about him? I think how he was, did it just, feel he was right shocked. He was really? shocked. He just looked mad. Yeah, he looked Honestly, mad. Honestly, I, like, I voted for Bernie. Yeah. I love Bernie. Let's let's actually say the quote. The quote is, according to Newsweek, and I don't know if we can trust Newsweek, but probably can, is, Bernie, I'm your biggest supporter, and I'm here to ask you to stop propping up the dairy industry yes, yeah. and stop propping up animal yeah. agriculture because he literally has sent billions of dollars or <laughs> at least hundreds of millions, probably billions cumulatively, but I'm, I'm 100% sure it's at least hundreds of millions of dollars to bail out big dairy companies. Yes. You know, like... Their products are being subsidized um, during COVID when people could not sell their animal products because slaughterhouses were shutting down. The government was just basically paying them for nothing, you know, paying them to torture and euthanize their animal, not even euthanize, exterminate all their animals. And it, at times when the dairy industry has needed a bailout, like if you and I are poor um, or even if a normal industry is how it goes through some difficult moment, they don't, they can't just go to the government and say like, Hey, you know, I'm sorry my restaurant closed down. Can you pay me? That's so weird. You know, it's it's like, it's weird. We have capitalism for the rich and socialism, or no, socialism for the rich and capitalism for the poor. I know, it's bizarre. Right, so if you are a huge dairy company that's failing, you know, and it's unsurprising because even the Democratic Secretary of Agriculture under Joe Biden, Tom Vilsack, he was making a cool, I think it was a million or two million dollars for basically not working at all. That's so He was... It, this is legalized bribery. He's just yeah. sitting there doing nothing. He was the president, I think, the dairy, the U.S. Dairy Export Import Export Council. In as far as I could tell, he didn't even do anything. Why? Why is this? Like, why do people have like some? What, what is it about? Yeah, it's complicated, and I've I've written a lot about why corporations have so much influence on the government. Um, but I wrote a blog post recently about this is not a corporation, but about Harvard University. Yeah, that was a great blog. Yeah, so it's about. Why Harvard tortures monkeys and seems completely resistant to any sort of even just request for a conversation. You know, when you're doing stuff like, I mean, some of the stuff that was exposed recently, like sewing monkeys' eyes shut. And 
one of the most evil experience for anyone who has cats is they were basically holding these cats in drums spinning that them, were spinning yeah. all day. And so the cats could never sleep and they were oh. going insane and their brains were getting damaged Gosh. from just lack of sleep and they would vivisect them. So, and I think what's true of Harvard is also true of these big corporations and the government, which is they're, they're really two very powerful dynamics driving these corporations and even people like Bernie Sanders to continue doing awful and evil things. One is a concept called the banality of evil. Mm-hmm. It's this notion that evil is just normal. Yeah. So look, whatever it is that's wrong about this, it's just the way things are. Yeah, and weird. so who are you to tell me we can't, I mean, get out of here. Like, and the concept was coined by this woman, Hannah Arendt, who's a philosopher. And she coined it after going to the trial of Adolf Eichmann, one of the primary perpetrators of the Holocaust. Like he was one of the people who murdered Jewish children and other children of from marginalized communities. And, and when the, the reason Hannah Arendt came up with this concept of the banality of evil or just the normality of evil, that, and the, the thesis behind her book, Eichmann in Jerusalem, that's the title of the book where she came up with this concept is evil doesn't come from the malice of bad people, but from the normalized. Yeah. From, but, but from the inaction and the ignorance of good people. Wow. Right. And, and, and the reason she came up with this concept was when she went and listened to Adolf Eichmann's testimony, when they looked at all of his diaries, (laughs) because strangely he was like writing diaries while he was mass murdering millions of people, including children. What they realized is he wasn't really motivated by hate. Like he was just motivated by honestly, a lot of the ordinary motivations all of us have in normal life. Like, he wanted to do a good job Connection. at work. He wanted social status. Yeah, he wanted to be part he of something bigger. He wanted to fit bigger. in. Exactly. He wanted to be a part of bigger something than himself and didn't, didn't really think for himself about, is this the right way to act? He just thought, is this the normal thing to do? Well, if you are an officer in the Nazi army in the year 1942, absolutely. Mass murdering Jews wow, was the that's... normal thing to do. So, but the other thing, and, and I think this is kind of what happens for people like Bernie, like when people ask him, well, I mean, why are you sending hundreds of millions of dollars to these big dairy companies? Why is Tom Vilsack getting a million dollars of cool cash for doing nothing and then turning around and supporting all these subsidies for big ad companies? They just say, well, this is just the way things are done. You know, and, and one of the reasons that line is always just, ugh, oh. it burns my soul is because, you know, the first time I heard that? Dog meat. Yeah, my dad said those words to me when I saw dogs getting beaten to death in China. He said, "He said, D, that's little brother." Um, In Chinese, he said, "This is just what the way things are done here. The way things are done. In other words, it's normal." And because we're such, and and it's amazing that we're as social as we are. Because part of the reason we're a powerful species and we're able to accomplish things that we're able to accomplish is because we're we're a species that depends a lot on norms. We have these group commitments that what our group does, we do. The danger is that that's great when the group's committed to something like compassion or you know generosity. When the group says like, "Hey, we're all going to give 10 percent of our income to the poor," great norm. You know, great that we think, "Oh, it's a normal thing to do." It is terrifying and evil, and has to be stopped. When the group norm is something like, "Let's kill people or torture animals." or look to the side while an industry is devastating our planet and all the living beings on this earth and just pretend there's no problem. And that's what Bernie was doing, unfortunately. He was normalizing evil. But the other reason I think these things happen is because this doctrine of necessary evil. So it's not just that it's normalized, 
when we ask people like Bernie or Tom Vilsack or even those dog meat traders in China, you know, when I, when, when I asked my dad, why can't we do something about this? Aww. You know, what, there's, there's little dogs being beaten to death. And that's what happens to them. They literally, they drag them by their neck out onto the kill floor. They crush their heads with a metal pipe while the dogs are screaming in agony. I mean, just imagine this happened in one of our bogs. Like, are your dog? Like, seriously. No. Yeah. Just think about that's that for horrible. a moment. That's horrible. Like, I'm thinking about it right now, and I'm looking at Oliver and Powell. Yeah, I can't, I honestly, I don't think I can think about it. Yeah, I mean, it's it like making me, me shake a little. It drives it's me like, crazy. It's, it's, it's a little, it's, it's, it's so dark, it almost does drive you to, like, real insanity. Yeah, that. The notion yeah, that I'm someone you love it. could be dragged by their neck oh onto a kill God. floor. Yeah. And to have someone beating their skull in while they're crying out in agony. And, but what, what, what justifies it to people like the folks at Harvard and even to Bernie Sanders when, because Bernie, you know, like, he seems like a compassionate person to me. Yeah. You know, and no compassionate person can see a baby cow trapped in one of those hutches that we've seen, you know, where these babies are sitting on hard wood, like or a thrown away five a foot by five pile. foot box or thrown away into a dumpster, which is, or thrown away just on the ground, like, which is, you've, you've seen this, a yeah. living animal, sick, a baby animal just thrown in the desert heat, laying on the ground, slowly wasting away after she's so wow. sick, she can't even stand. There's no way Bernie can normally justify that. No. But in addition to saying, you know what, this is just normal. It's a banality of evil. It's inevitable. This is going to happen. Is they say it's necessary, right? So to Bernie, he says, well, you know, the economy of Vermont depends on this, or the people of America they just need to eat. And who? You, what are you going to say? Like people aren't going to eat? You know what? Are you crazy? Right? <laughs> like it's necessary. Yeah. You know, and and interestingly, when Hannah Arendt was studying the Nazis, she found they made the same argument. Yeah. Like one of the things that. Himmler said, um, Heinrich Himmler, who was also one of the perpetrators of the Holocaust, is he said something, and I'm paraphrasing now, we have to kill their kids to save ours. Yeah. You know, they had been convinced that it was necessary to kill children. And this is so normal. This has been normalized throughout history. Because it has. In, during the what, what, 1600s when, um, uh, when Anglo-Saxons were coming to the what we now know as United States, uh, they said the same thing. Yeah. They said, like, if we don't take this land and if we don't take care of this land, then, you know, who will? <laughs> yeah, it's like barbarians are going to yeah, exactly. and, and spread what, paganism and evil and, yeah. And one of the things that they said about, one of the ways that they, that they justified, I mean, I'm sure you know this, justified what they did to indigenous people. Do you know what it was? No. They said, they're not human. Mm, well, no. They're not human. Which is, you know, and now it's like, that, that's an animal rights issue. Yeah. Because, uh, and Silco, I know I've, t I've talked to you about this, amazing talk. Everybody, all vegans, animal rights activists should listen to this talk. It's called, Who is the Human and Who is the Animal? Hmm. Where she talks about how certain people, the way that they've been treated, well, the way we define human is, you know, um, unfortunately in this day and age is what it means to be a certain type of human. And certain humans are treated as less human because they're, because the way that we justify violence against them is by saying, well, they're not human, so we can do X, Y, and Z. Z. Anyway, the conclusion of that talk is, sorry, I know we went off on a tangent, is if we are to change the world and address and end racism, then we have to look at what's happening to animals. And if we are to change what's happening to animals, then we have to look at how we're treating other people. Yeah. And it, it just, I, 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 it's so wholesome because it really shows you the interconnected nature of, of everything. Yeah, because dehumanization of animals is very related to dehumanization of other human beings. Yeah. That, that same mentality that you're beneath us, you're yeah. dirty, 
you know, you're not as intelligent as I am, and therefore yeah. I can inflict ungodly suffering and exploitation on you and your people. That's kind of the same, same sort of mentality. Yeah, it's the same mentality. And yeah, I mean, I if you, if you go back, I was rereading the blog post I wrote many years ago about what it's like to be Chinese in the animal yeah. rights movement, and just in like the research I'd done about the Chinese Exclusion Act, because Chinese people are still to this day the only race of people ever banned from this country entirely what? are the Chinese. Wow. Yeah, okay, we're the so only race that it was just told. Yeah, not you're not I, allowed I, to become a citizen. Yeah, you're not even allowed in this country because people. And but one of the mechanisms through which they did this was dehumanizing Chinese people. They, there were like all these signs that were put up in California that said like, you know, um, no dogs. You know, you have to wear your shoes and shirt and no, no chinks. You know, no Chinamen either. No dogs. No Chinese. Um, so it's it's yeah, it's really important. And it's linked. Um, yeah, I so, remember that image from your blog post. Yeah, no, it's 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 or ridiculous. Learning about and, that, which and it also, but it just also should remind us that, like, we look back on the 1800s and and whether it's, you know, chattel slavery, the the enslavement of black people, or the just outright banning of Chinese people from this country, and we say, oh my God, that's evil. It's so horrific. And we have to remember that. Uh, and I blogged about this recently again too, that future generations will judge us too. And that's not a reason to change. We shouldn't ju change just because, oh, I want future generations to think positively about me. We should change because the reason future generations will judge us is because what we're doing is wrong. Because yeah. <laughs> they will be wiser than us and they will recognize that what we see as normal and necessary yeah. is actually an atrocity. It is actually an atrocity. And if you don't believe me, I wrote a blog about this because there's actually been historical work done to determine why certain time periods have allowed atrocity. And what they found is, and I, there are three things that you have to find, or three things that are very suggestive that some very common practice is an atrocity. Um, and they are moral asymmetry. When there's one argument that has like moral arguments, the other side is just talking about necessity or tradition or not really offering moral reasons why this practice should continue. Second is strategic ignorance. When there are a lot of people who are strategically check, just check. just not paying attention to the issue, and they kind of know there's something wrong there, but they're deliberately not paying attention. And the third issue is preference falsification. When a lot of people actually do think something is wrong is happening, but they feel like they can't speak openly about it because they'll be shamed. Wow! In silence. Check. 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 On <laughs> That's animals, all right? checked on animals. Certainly, check. Check. Check on so many issues. Gay rights, right in the 1950s, 100 percent. All three of these issues were true. Um, the enslavement of human beings and institutional racism, you know, both Jim Crow and the enslavement of human beings, check, 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 all three yep. of those things. Check, check, check. And certainly what's happened to animals today. And, and I think, you know, there've been so many people recently have written about this saying that whether it's a hundred years from now, I think it's going to be a lot sooner. I think in the next 20 to 30 years, our children and our grandchildren will already be saying, and, and people are alive today will be saying, can you believe that just a few decades ago, People were committing atrocities. And again, like even just thinking about this little baby bird that you were talking about on the corner of yeah. the farm when we walked in. I mean, this is a living creature that incontrovertibly can feel, who was collapsed on the ground, gasping to breathe, had been trampled, was desperately clambering to the far corner of the factory farm because she was too weak to stand. And when we lifted her wing, we saw... She, she had wounds Aww. that were literally necrotic and rotting. We could smell them. Aww. Do you remember smelling the bird? 
No. Like we could smell I just, the stench just, of death on her. Oh, I could just remember the stench of death in that entire place. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I remember this very distinctly because I oh. I think you might have been the one who spotted her yeah. originally because you're like, oh my god, there's like a bird collapse right at the door. We didn't even have to walk in. You just opened the door and she was right there in the corner. She was just like, but because I I was like confused about what was going on. I was thinking, is there a chance that we could save her? And as team lead, it was my responsibility yeah. to make an assessment and say, is this an animal that that if we gave her care could actually survive? So I lifted her wing and I saw like she was rotting from the oh, inside that's out. So sad. And I could smell death from her body. And that's when I made the judgment, you know, and it was my judgment. So I'm sorry for this because I know it was hard on everyone that day. But I made the judgment that she's too far gone. She's not going to make it. It's not your fault. It's like we shouldn't be put in that position. But here we are, you know. But no one in history is going to be able to justify that. Seeing a baby animal collapse on the ground, slowly rotting to death from the inside out and scared, so scared. She's cowering. And like the tiny bit amount of strength she has left, all she can think about is please just get me away from these mobs and crowds. Take me away from this factory farm because I'm so weak I can't stand. So she dragged her body, you know, limb by limb, wing by wing, probably head first. She dragged herself to the corner of a factory farm just to die. Wow, that's so sad. Because she didn't want to suffer anymore. And we had to leave her behind. That's so sad. But here's here's the positive thing and then we we can maybe end with this and maybe talk a little bit about this this vegan crypto billionaire and what we can learn from him too because effective altruism was very important to DXE's founding. But the positive thing is, you know, you got people like Zoe Rosenberg. Did you see the video of oh, Zoe absolutely. rescuing those turkeys? Good jo- Young people stepping up and saying, no, we this is not right. Incredible. This is not okay. What Foster Farms, what Distill, what these companies are doing is wrong. And I don't care if the government's going to try and imprison me for doing the right thing. I'm going to do it anyways. And more and more people are doing that. And, and we're going to be doing a training on December third i think yeah yes, december third just 3rd. a few weeks from now our first open i'm excited training it's been a while yeah training and empowering and giving people a workshop to give them a sense because when you go through that training and you actually simulate the experience of organizing an open rescue you realize this can be done this can be done we don't have to sit on our hands while these poor creatures are slowly rotting to death we can go in and just get them out just go do it yeah. That's a good story for things. That is a great That's a, story. That is me. a great reason to give thanks. Yeah, that is a great reason to when give thanks. When turkeys are being saved, not tortured. So thank you, Zoe. And I actually kind of wanted Zoe on this podcast. I today, know. Because she knows turkeys very well. But she's already down in San Luis Obispo. So. Is there anything else I, you wanted to talk about? I you got to use the bathroom? Go, yeah. All right. All right, we're back. We're better than ever. We're I'm back, back just like Eminem. No, 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 Everyone should go Google without me. That's, I'm pretty sure that song probably has all sorts of oppressive lyrics. So I don't know if I'm promoting some sort of hate. <laughs> I mean, I probably am knowing Eminem. Uh, yeah. No, I mean, I, I mean, I'm sure. Yeah, I guess that that sure. I think the most recent thing you got in trouble for was like some sort of misogyny, right? Really recently? Recently? Because yeah, I thought maybe not that recently. I mean, my knowledge of hip hop and music is very dated. Like, I still think. Yeah, like, what do you consider? I think Eminem's been well. Like, like Eminem out of, for out me of, sounds recent. <laughs> like without me, I know it's an old song, but to me, like, I know it's know. from like twenty plus years ago. Hip hop has changed. But I, didn't he get in trouble because there's some song about him engaged in domestic violence? Oh, that and, was a long time ago. Yeah, that song okay. is called "Stan," where he like t- he was rapping from a perspective perspective of his fan, and he the the fan in that song yeah, put his kills. girlfriend in his in the no, trunk. No, no, no. But there's a more recent one with like Rihanna, right? Oh. What's it called? It's a good song, unfortunately. Yeah, you like that song. I, I, I Love forget. the Way You Lie. Yeah. 
What what about it? Um, there's a lyric where I think he talks about like burning a house down with his girlfriend in it. Oh my god. Isn't that what happens? I thought I don't remember anything about that song. Uh, let me look at the lyrics real quick. Just kind of stand there and watch me. I'm back. No, no, no. Until then, people can hear me sing. I'm back. No, 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 I forget the lyrics. But you know, I listened to a lot of Eminem back in the day. Sometimes I listen to it recently. Oh, shit. Yeah. Really? So, no, no. Here's the lyrics from the song. I'm tired of the games. I just want her back. I know I'm a liar. If she ever tries to fucking leave again... Oh, yeah. Tire to the bed and set this house on fire. So he talks about burning his girlfriend alive. Yeah. <laughs> you want to take back your support from Eminem for you, Sohani? I'm just kidding. No, I don't want to. I know, do I know it's art and, you know, there's big debates about these sorts of things, but that's pretty No, I'm dark. not taking back my support. It's okay. just, I mean, honestly, it's just like a, it's just like the an absurd conclusion of this, like of, of a culture where people are just get obsessed with each other. Yeah. I'm just, know. you know, it's, it's a critique. It should be a critique of the culture. Yeah. We that's, were talking about this earlier. Yeah. The culture has created this like sort of like obsession and like possessiveness of people, which I mean, I've, I've engaged in too. So, yeah. you know, but I mean, it is a distinctly. Yes, that is male thing to like kill. That is, yeah, and I'm not justifying that. That's fucked up, Eminem. If you're listening to this, so that's not cool. You're literally killing. Yeah, but yeah, I do think you know, women do this too. Like yeah. they just it usually doesn't manifest in violence, at like physical violence, yeah. but it does manifest in ways that are super like harmful and not, yeah, not and ethical. you know, yeah, this funny another or what's that orthogonal segue? But I, one thing I've noticed is I, I mean. I have done messed up things to my partners and I'll be the first one to admit. And I'm also engaged in like, you know, <laughs> I've been possessive behavior. Well, not just possessive, but downright violent and women get away with so much bullshit. Yeah. And I'll be the first to say that. Cause it's funny how like if, 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 if I was a man and some of the things that I've done, yeah. if I did those things as a man, Oh my God, I would be, I would be like beyond canceled. <laughs> yeah. And no. I mean, I've, I've learned from those things and I'm not proud of what I did, so I shouldn't be laughing. But yeah, I do think like we should hold each other to a higher standard regardless of gender. Yeah, no, that's very brave of you to say. And as someone who was your partner, I will say like even <laughs> when there was disagreement or things were, were, were south, I always like understood that at root you were coming from a good place. Always. Thanks. I always felt that way about you. Thank um, you. Even when I was feeling incredibly frustrated or angry or whatever it was, yeah. you know, and, and I know like I certainly have my failings too and I'm <laughs> trying to get better. As, Thanks for forgiving me. I mean, I just think like a lot of stuff happens to people in their childhood and I'm not ashamed of, of like myself now or, yeah. you know, my actions so I can talk about it openly and cause I'm a woman and I can get away with this stuff. Literally no one's going to look at me and hold it against me and be like, yeah. I, I heard that. Like, you're an abuser. Like, no one's going to say that. And that's messed up, honestly. We shouldn't... I don't think we should do that to anybody. We should... Yeah. We should so you're saying is people should hold you accountable for being... <laughs> just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I've just... No, yeah, we should just... I think fine. that the lesson is we should all be more compassionate yeah. and generative and supportive of each other, even yes. when people fuck that up. That is the lesson. That like, is and it. not even... Actually, it's not even even when people fuck up. It's, it's especially just, yeah. when people We're fuck, all up fuck up. We're all going to You're not actually being compassionate. Yeah. If you're only compassionate when people are doing the right thing. Yeah. It's you're when right. people are doing something wrong and you're compassionate that shows your true compassion. Yeah. Right? And there's just very little compassion for, especially in today's climate, for anyone who does anything wrong. Yeah, we can't. And, and for the record, you know, I mean, like, even in our relationship, 
Yeah, I mean, I still remember. Do you remember when I punched a hole in the door? Yeah. Well, I'm not. I, didn't. I wasn't. For the record, I wasn't angry at you. No, he, you were it not angry at me at I all. Was, do you remember why I punched a because hole? Because Wayne lost all of his footage. I thought I had. Oh, you thought you had. Yeah, yeah that's I right. Think, I think it was actually the diesel footage. Too. Yeah, really? I think it was the turkey footage. Wait, wasn't it just protest footage? that you? No, saw? it was okay. open rescue footage. I would not have been that mad about protest. Yeah, footage. I was it like, wouldn't have mattered mm-hmm. to me at all. Yeah. But I thought... I deleted all of our investigative footage in one of the most important open rescues. And this was a time when it was so much more important because it was so unusual and rare right. to capture that sort of footage. Oh and we had taken such huge risks. Everyone was saying, including Ingrid Newkirk, one of the legendary figures in the animal rights movement, was saying to me, don't do this. It's too much of a risk. You're all going to go to prison. And, and I knew, like I had asked all these people to take a risk with us and with me, specifically as team lead, to rescue these turkeys from a factory farm. And then I lost it all. Well, that's what you thought, yeah. I lost it all. And I, I like, honestly, I mean, I wouldn't have actually, but the thought that was going through my head, honestly, wasn't even punch a door. It was like, okay, I'm sorry, this is going to be a little triggering. But it, it literally was a thought that went through my head. It was like, I just want to shoot myself. Yeah. Like you, that you, was you how upset, upset I was. I was so upset because... Because I just knew I'd let everyone down. I'd let all of our team members down. Yeah. I'd risk everything. Like Diane, beautiful, powerful soul. Diane, powerful human being. But physically, you know, she struggled through that rescue. Do you yeah. remember how hard yes, it was? Yes, I remember that. Like it was a hard, it was cold, walking through ravines. I and she was that. like lying in the, in the weeds outside of this massive factory farm that stinks, just trying to be the best lookout she could be. And, you know, there's so few people who were willing to do this sort of work back then because everyone was scared. Everyone thought the government's going to come after you. The industry's going to come after you. We had all these legal arguments, and we've won now in court, so we know some of these legal arguments prevail, especially when the government's asleep at the wheel and allowing this stuff to happen. But I thought about Diane lying there in that ravine in the cold, you know, terrified that someone's going to spot her and arrest her and, and take her away from her husband and her family. And I, and I thought about these baby birds whose story needed to be told, you know, um, what was it? What were the two names? Sarah and Angie. Yeah. Do you remember? I was thinking like, oh my God, we shot all this beautiful footage. Like for Sarah and Angie and for the ones we lost, because yeah. we lost some of them. You know, a lot of them died from astrobrigillosis. Yeah. I, I, I was thinking about these poor baby birds coughing and desperately trying to breathe and dying because they couldn't breathe. I, even after we had taken them out. And I thought, that's all been lost now. It's going to be forgotten by the world because I fucked up. And so, but anyways, you, you, you were pretty upset at me. You're like, what, was I upset? You were upset. I was like, what's Yeah, you were like, what is wrong with you? Whoa. You just broke a hole in our door. You yeah, just I punched guess the I was. door. I, I was and like, there's a hole there now. And then, yeah, that, I, did, I, I will that say, did annoy me. That might be the last time I got super angry that I can remember. I don't <laughs> yeah, get angry don't get... that often. And I did, I think I did apologize. But yeah. still, the point is, the reason I was able to apologize was because I knew you'd forgive me. Yeah. You know, and I was like, okay, I did act in a way that was totally inappropriate. That was honestly pretty violent. Like that's a threatening <laughs> thing to have someone just punch a hole in the door. Yeah. You know, to be fair, I wasn't like afraid for myself. Yeah, you weren't. Right I mean, cause you knew I was, I mean, I don't think you knew exactly why I was mad, but you're just like, what the hell is going on? Yeah. See, I There's think I think I was a little bit more sense. Well, I guess I would respond the same way now if somebody did no, that. No, someone just randomly punched a hole in the door. Like, it's like appropriate to respond no, yeah. in a very negative I don't way. Like say, people, That's not cool. I don't you like when people like break things. Yeah, I mean, I, and I don't normally do that. But I, yeah, you I don't. Just, yeah, I, 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 I've talked to you about this before. I think I've shared this with you. I still, it's a weird thing because even though I, I have grown a lot and I feel like a much healthier and more secure person than I was when I was a kid, I still have these weird flashes sometimes where... And like it comes out in strange moments where they're inexplicable and aren't honestly sometimes aren't even that big of a deal. This was a big deal because I thought, oh my God, we just went from being on national television and being able to tell this really important story around Thanksgiving. You know, my mom's dying. And I was like going through a lot of intense stuff. Yes, a lot of intense stuff. Do you remember 
um, Flash died yeah. around that time. Too. I, I don't I know do. if Flash died right before that or right after. Right that, after but, your mom yeah, passed but, away. Yeah, that was a hard time. But, you know, I was, I, I still have these moments where, like, I feel like that same compulsion just like there's this weird flash emotional flash through my brain that just says like you should just shoot yourself and it's wow. like wait a minute why would i do that that's ridiculous and it's but it's what you're saying about childhood and there are these things that just leave marks in us as children and for yeah. me it was this deep sense of self-loathing you yeah. know that still comes out sometimes and it's you know even in my day-to-day life like i very rarely think anything i'm doing is particularly good i just always think like yeah everything i'm doing is kind of crap and you know that's not healthy either necessarily but what you just said made me think of this one. I was listening to this one woman's podcast and she talks about how like our thoughts are not our own mm. and we have this in, inner dial, internal dialogue and she actually says, she's like, I think we have a parasite in our mind. Because yeah. like, how do you explain that stuff? Like, why no. am I having these weird thoughts yeah. <laughs> of doing horrible things? And if you think, it, think of it from that yeah. perspective, like some people are just so like, and I, it's even, even, even the quote unquote worst amongst us, they're so attached to the that inner dialogue in their head because i truly don't think that that's me like i don't know what the voice in my head is but i know it's not my own that we like that we like identify with it and we think it's us and it's like telling us to do all these horrible things including justifying you know atrocities against <laughs> atrocities yeah. no, I agree. like it's not us it's whether it's i mean whether you think of it from like a metaphysical perspective or just you know it's our programming it's like social conditioning our childhood trauma like it's it's yeah. not us yeah, and I think that's such a great way to to frame it as a parasite. Yeah. Because if you can see it as something separate from you, then it feels feasible to change it or yeah. challenge it, right? If you feel like my anger is just a part of me, and I don't, again, I'm not a particularly angry person. I'm no. actually kind of surprised that you're I'm not at all. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I mean, I just don't get angry. Yeah, you I mean, don't. I, I and really especially don't. like recently, I don't. Yeah. Or maybe it's because I. Yeah, I don't. I honestly, I don't think I've been angry a single time since my mom died. Yeah, like I just. I mean, that's not true. I get angry about violence against animals, but it's, but it's. I, I've never felt out of control. Yeah, like the anger I, I have, think, mm. I always. I'm thinking to myself, I want to channel this anger. I want to feel it. You know, I want to feel it, and I want people to feel how. Yeah, angry we should I feel am. angry about certain but things. But I don't feel like I've been out of control. Maybe since that incident when I pushed yeah. a hole in the wall. I really do think, or not in the wall, the door. I really do think like. I know this is such a segue, but like, I really do think one of the things that makes me, and I think definitely you stronger is we don't identify with that voice in our head. Yeah, I know, I know it's not me. Even the worst things that I've done, I'm able to just yeah, recognize just that that's something from. like that was not good. And I'm just like able to give myself like a chance I can change and I'm changing right now in this moment. And I think that gives you a certain amount of self-confidence because so many people are just like, this is the way that I am. Yeah, and I feel sad because yeah. I'm like, you don't have to be that way. Like you're not, always anxious you're not always depressed you're not always which sorry i i know some people might not agree with that perspective because i know some people have a different view about clinical depression and i totally understand that perspective too yeah but yeah i I just don't think i'd identify with that like that voice in my head because i know it's not me (laughs) yeah there's this little demon on your shoulder telling you literally that you're worthless that you, you can't do it and yeah and it's weird because on the one hand, that demon is very much in my internal dialogue, but I, you're right. I do kind of separate myself from it because I'll like write a blog post and think that was complete shit, <laughs> but it doesn't make me think like, oh, everything else you write is going to be complete shit. So never write again. Yeah. I just think, oh, that's like an interesting perspective. And this relates to something I, I talked to Robert about. Robert Yamada, the monk was on the podcast for, yes. briefly for a hangout conversation. We were talking about how meditation 
allows you to separate yourself yes from your subjectivity like normally people are so trapped by their feelings and their perspective and the eastern philosophy has always been to broaden that and and think about the other living beings around you think about your community think about your nation you know the and think about the entire universe of life and the more broad your perspective becomes and the more in touch you are with all the different feelings and subjectivity and consciousness in the world the wiser you become because you can and and I, you, I know you've heard me say this before but i'll say it again because it's as if you've gone from looking at the universe through a pinhole where all you can see is darkness other than this tiny little pinhole that you can see and it's like ah i can see like i can see like a little part of priya's eye and now i can see a little part of her ear and i don't know what priya is but i'm you know it's a very limited vantage point to opening your eyes and seeing the entire world the way it is yeah it's just we understand that when it comes to our own physical eyes, but when it comes to our philosophical and spiritual eye to the universe, yeah. we're closed off. We don't we realize it. We're we, so closed off. And when you, when meditation allows you to expand that, then suddenly you can detach yourself from the experience of any one emotion that you, this vessel, this, this thing that you call you yeah. or me, you know, this one living being, our attachment to that one very, very narrow perspective suddenly goes away in the same sense that if you could see the entire universe rather than just looking at a little pinhole and like, ah, I can't tell what the heck's going on. If, if the world suddenly lit up, you wouldn't want to go back to the pinhole, no. right? You want to, you want to see the world the way it is yeah. and not just like look at and just like, cause you can't figure anything out. You're just constantly confused. And you know, like even reading, if you could only see through a pinhole and you only saw like one tiny part, I'm, I'm looking at, actually I'm looking at Metamucil. <laughs> it's funny. TMI, it says, TMI. It says meta. It's meta. <laughs> oh so shit. Cool. Pretty meta. So it's not just Metamucil, it's Meta. Yeah. So if you're reading like the supplement facts on this Metamucil and you could only see like a, a tiny square millimeter of the supplement facts, you'd never even be able to read it. Yeah. You wouldn't be able to figure anything out. And what kind of a life is that to that walk around just not being able to figure anything out? But when you realize that, oh, my feelings are just, they're clouding things. They're actually blocking me off from seeing the broader universe of life then it does sort of feel like, I, I've heard this is what happens to people like LSD. We just talked about how one of our yes. friends took LSD recently and, yeah. and had this like experience where they're suddenly happy and just like yeah. the anxiety di just disappeared. It went away like a fog. And it's because once you open things up, you just don't feel as confused and uncertain. You just see the world the way it is. And, and the world is a dangerous place. There's a lot of violence and cruelty. There's a lot that needs to change. It's also a beautiful place with a Definitely. lot of amazing living beings, and including you know, human beings. You know, like psychedelics do this, have the same effect as like meditation. Mm, what it's yeah. doing is it's reducing your brain activity. Brain activity. Yeah. I know we talked about this so many times on the podcast, but like reduction of brain activity, like it's because our brain is a filtration mechanism for reality. It's not yeah. re like where I'm not perceiving reality. It's filtering it out, which is so bizarre to me. Yeah. So when you meditate, you are more like in connect you're literally more connected because you're not filtering out reality yeah. no i agree it's bizarre yeah. i should meditate i think more. i told you i mean when we first i, I think i started meditating yeah you right? did. i was the one who first encouraged you to meditate oh my gosh it was so I, hard. I remember when i used to tell you that I, there your goal is to get to this place where you just feel like you're flying yeah you're connected to everything and you're yeah you did like tell me that out of body experience and i and it's it's weird i had this there's this feeling that's associated with it too it's not just conceptual it's not just about yes your perception, your thoughts. It's like this weird feeling you get when you're yeah. meditating intensively. And like the way I describe it is it's like I'm flying outside of my own body and suddenly I'm just can see the world. Yeah. And that's I'm amazing just, that you're able to do that in such a short amount of time. Yeah. In 10 minutes, usually I can get there. And it's weird because that is really odd. Yeah. Cause when you're in that phase, it just feels 
the world feels very differently. And when you come back, it's kind of confusing, honestly, because it's, it's, it does kind of feel like when you come back in your body, it does feel like, oh my gosh, I'm stuck in this little, I'm looking through the pinhole again. I'm stuck. I can't see anything because I start feeling the sensations in my legs and my arms. And like right now I'm aching. I told you I was in physical yeah. pain because Orange Theory has been great, Aww. but it's caused a lot. Like my shoulders hurt, my shins hurt. Well, everything that's because Wayne doesn't stretch. I think you need to stretch, yeah, Wayne. Yeah, I stretch. I really think it's we, a subject we need for a campaign to, to get Wayne to start stretching. Yeah. It's, it's not exercise. It's violence. Yeah. <laughs> we need stretch now. Um, yeah, no. So it's, it's, it's pretty mind-blowing. I don't, you know, I don't try to do that anymore or as often. I used to always try to get to that state when I meditated, and I don't do that as often anymore. Yeah. But I imagine it's like being in a psychedelic. Have you been on a psychedelic? Yes, I have. I've done psilocybin. I've done psilocybin. I've done LSD only once. Um, was I, it, what, what, what was your experience? Well, with LSD, yeah, it was honestly, it was magical. It was more pers- wow. uh, like with, with LSD, it was uh, really perceptive hmm. or like, visual because i just you could just see everything moving and the weirdest part was that it didn't it felt like this is how it's always been hmm. and that's when you you know like wow. all these like it's so weird so you thought now i'm seeing the truth no like how can you this is what makes me think like re, i don't know it, it was so magical because i was like this is how it's always been and i remember having that thought i've never experienced this before in this body what does how, this mean what were you saying um i was just seeing like when you would, I would look at the floor, I would just see like images and patterns and I would just wow. see like, I, it was just this feeling of, you know, just this reverence for life is the best way I can describe it. Like mm-hmm. I would look at a tree and be like, wow, like th- just feeling like this glory, like I'm alive. And it's, it was, yeah, it was really incredible. And, but it, just feeling like it's not that different from being, you know, from being like from normal life. And I just remember looking at, cause at that time I was, you know, with my partner and I, I could just feel the essence of like their being. And it was just so, and I, it's like, you truly, I, I felt like I could truly see everything clearly. And I was like, wow, I see this person right in front of me and I know who they are. Like it was wow. so, I can't describe it. Interesting. I can't. And I just remember, I think I even have like an audio recording of us like talking and laughing because I was like, I, I need to remember this. And I remember thinking like, wow, we are alive on this planet and we're fighting for animals. How yeah. many people can say they are doing what we're doing? And it was just this like yeah. incredible love for myself and like everybody around me. <laughs> wow, that's beautiful. Yeah, but I, I don't want to, I don't know. I, I haven't really wanted to do it again because it's like. <laughs> yeah, it's so powerful. Yeah, sometimes why, it's because you just think it can't. It only goes down from there. Or why? No, I just again? part of me is like I don't want to do that. I want to experience it now. Mm. I want to experience it in, in this moment because yeah. the thing that's like all of that is available right now. It's just that I'm not perceiving it. Like yeah, there's nothing that incredible. People think like they're. Gonna, I thought I was going to do LSD and I was just going to be so like. You don't feel that different. You literally feel like this is wow. This is it. Like I've just I've just been perceiving things differently. Yeah. You're just looking at a tree, and now it's like the green is just incredible. It's like nothing's changed. It's just the, I'm actually seeing it for what it is. Yeah, interesting. So yeah, I mean, part of it is I just want I would rather meditate more because you know it's it's somebody described this like uh, my friend Priya, who's incredible. I I, I love her. She's so like the way she describes things in her writings, she was talking about how she's done a lot of psychedelics. And I still like, you know, would, would do psychedelics once in a while, but she described it as like looking through a microscope. And she said, you can't always mm. look through a microscope. Mm. You have to like open your, open eyes, your eyes and, and like... Yeah. But it allows you to see things more intensely. Yeah, like and, you and can't walk around life like, 
with yeah. a mic. And I was like, that's a really good way of putting it. Like, it's I don't want to. the flip side of my perspective on Anana that I, yeah. you know, I'm trying to open things up. But like looking at things intensively and, and carefully and seeing things as, as they are yeah. is important too. You don't want to go broad, but you also want to go deep. Yeah. And that's like a way to go deep. Yeah, it's pretty fascinating. It definitely makes me want to try psychedelics when I hear experiences like that. I, I know of at least two people who've become vegan because of psychedelic experiences. Yeah. Um, one is Ben. Is know. he still vegan? Ben, of course he is. Oh, okay. Are you fucking kidding me? He just actually, um, he just pled out of a, a case in North Carolina. Oh, okay. That's yeah. awesome. So he was, because he was one of the people who was charged for the right, North right, Carolina right. case that I was convicted of in a felony. And he and, he and Jake just got really great deals in their resulting Yay. case. But pretty sure he had a, an experience with a psychedelic that made him yes, feel connected awesome. to other life. And then another friend of mine that I met recently, Aaron, who's doing a master's in bioethics at Harvard. And I've been working with her a little bit on this Harvard stuff. Um, which I blogged about and I'm about to pitch an op-ed about what's going on at Harvard. And, and she told me the same thing that she had this psychedelic experience and realized how connected all life was and just thought, Oh my gosh, I've been eating animals and I've been eating living beings and I can't do this anymore. And she's become just an incredibly powerful and just only got to know her recently, but really incredible animal advocate. Yeah. And she's on the board of the safe. That's awesome. I think there's certain people and I don't think I'm one of them, like not to be arrogant, even though I don't think it's like a thing to be arrogant about. There's people who get set in their ways and they do the same thing and they think the same way. And I think if you're somebody who's like that and you think I might be missing out on different perspectives, that might be And honestly, maybe that's true for me too. Maybe, I mean, I'm sure I I would, I would learn something every time too. So I I do think it is helpful for a lot of people because it helps you broaden your perspective in many ways. Yeah, I mean, I think there are two reasons I haven't done any psychedelics or any drug. One is maybe kind of a dumb reason and maybe honestly a little messed up and a little arrogant, which is that I kind of feel like I'm better than that. You know, I don't need to do that. I can get there without it, you know? So yeah. like, and I think the reason I think it's a little messed up is I think part of it is just the indoctrination of the Reagan era. Yeah. You know, just say no to drugs. That's yeah. There's like still part of me that thinks like, eh, you know, these drugs are kind of dangerous, yeah. right? You know, and like... The reality is almost all substances affect your brain. In Definitely. Some way. Like so coffee it's just, too. I, I really like what people have been saying recently, like Michael Pollan about plant medicine, just instead of thinking about these things as drugs, like mm-hmm. psilocybin is just from a mushroom. It's eating a mushroom. And just like eating potato chips yes. or French fries or sugar will give you a little sugar rush. Exactly. A mushroom might give you spiritual awakening. Yeah. Um, so that's reason one. And I, again, I don't think that's like the best reason, but reason two is... I agree. I don't think that's the best reason. Yeah. Reason two is maybe not the best reason either, but well, there might be other reasons to, too. So it doesn't ruin your streak of being... Yeah. yeah. Like, I, I kind of like just being the sober one, you know, being the one. And I think it's but actually... You, like, I think soberness is more about consistency than like, you can still be yeah. sober and like have Yeah, a, but be, be, being able to say, because I think... You know, I mean, this is where kind of optics mm-hmm. and, and reality converge. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you should do things just for optics. Yeah, I don't think so but either. I think the optics around animal rights activists and especially like radical environmentalists and animal rights supporters who are doing direct action is that all hippies who are out of control and, you know, counterculture types who are doing weed and are doing weed. I think, I, I think you've made fun of me for saying doing weed. Doing I think weed. You, <laughs> I think you say smoking weed or using yeah. weed, right? So whatever it is. I think there's... There's immense value to saying, look, I'm actually in many ways a pretty conservative person. I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't I, take risks unnecessarily. I don't. Yeah, that's true. But I and, really and don't. And that's true about me. I'm actually kind of a rule follower. I'm yeah, not, you are. I'm you not really are. I'm not someone who likes 
See, this is where you and I are so different. No, we are different. I, I'm, I like structure. I like... <laughs> I like chaos. I like... Yeah, you, you're... I think I... What did I call you? I, I called you a... Earthquake a, hurricane? No, what was that? I used to call you a... What did I call you? What? Like a know. creature of chaos or something, something like that. Something like know. that, yeah. No, a spirit of chaos. I remember I used to always... Whenever people would ask me about you, I'd like... One of the first things I'd say is... It was meant as a compliment. <laughs> um... Man, I used to always call you something like a creature of chaos, oh, and gosh. I'm forgetting what it is now. I don't remember anyways, it either. I, anyways, I'll think of it when I... It's not a creature of chaos, but I'm not that. I am, you know, let's create some structure, and let's have a plan, and timelines, and everything's got to be very expected, and nothing out of the ordinary. So, and I think, like, not using substances is a way for me to show people that, that I'm not... I'm not someone, I think there's beauty in all different perspectives and I think you need different personality types in any movement or any community. But I do think in direct action specifically because there's a caricature of activists as people who just want chaos to have someone who's as much like a rule follower as me No, I yeah. <laughs> doing stuff that is quote unquote crazy. It's also one of the yeah. reasons it's good that I'm a lawyer and a former law professor because yeah. I can say, look, look, I... I, I respect the law. And one of the reasons I'm doing these things is precisely because I respect the law. Yeah, no, I think, I think, I, I think like everybody has a different role in the society. And I think for you, that makes sense. Like yeah. that makes total sense. All right, thank you for defending my sobriety. Yeah, no, I get it. And I don't want to be the one dweeb. Is I'm, dweeb even a word anymore? I'm not like one way. I, I, I'm just really starting to develop like a, like I really hate, I, I want to be unpredictable. I want yeah. people to look at me and be like, I can't guess what her political views are. are. Like what I, I just, I like being able to be a complex person who, yeah. like, I, I don't always agree with people drinking and doing drugs, but I don't disagree with it either. I think everything yeah. is so contextual. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah, and I, I mean, I've been to so many bars and had so many friends, including you, I don't use like various substances, and, and I think it's had profoundly positive impacts. Like, you know, again... My two friends who who became vegans after That's having great. a psilocybin experience. That's beautiful. And yeah, if we can I do will that. say, if there's one drug... So there's there's two things I'm going to do with drugs before I die. <laughs> you so you're going to do it. Well, yeah, I'll explain. But there's two things I'm going to do with drugs before I die. One is I'm going to get drunk with Ronnie on the day <laughs> animal liberation happens. I already promised him. We're going to get drunk. I'm going to get drunk for the first time. I'm going to drink and I'm going to get drunk. I'm going to get just maybe not blackout drunk, but I'll get drunk. I'll be so the day that animals get some constitutional rights. Yeah, when when there is a statutory or constitutional right to animal personhood and it's no longer permitted okay. to to kill and exploit animals just because they're different than us and weaker than us i'll get drunk and the other thing i'll do is take psilocybin and have Yay. my first trip probably not the same day well I that do would that. be a little much i would I, I, you can join me on the trip definitely well you can join me getting drunk too if you want to but i already told ronnie yeah you can. ronnie who's a co-founder of I'll direct just, action network ronnie and i are going to get drunk and you're welcome to join actually all of you are welcome the entire nation the entire world you will be celebrating we'll it. get drunk i'll live stream that I'll, I'll live stream myself <laughs> getting drunk this is the reason we all need to fight for animal liberation, just so you can see and laugh at me when I get drunk for the first so time funny. at the age of 45. That's four years from now. We don't have a lot wow. of time for animal liberation. All right, let's do it. But no, but the other thing is I'd like to have a psilocybin experience. I think, yeah, I think that would be really... Yeah, I'd like to eat some of these mushrooms. Well, I told you, I, I didn't, yeah, I think I've told you like when I did psilocybin, it was uh, directly after Lisa passed away and I, mm. there was something like I could feel her presence and it was just yeah. very... Yeah, it was really profound. Yeah. And... Yeah, I was going through a lot of stuff in my life and I just had this really incredible conclusion where I know I've heard it before, but you know, we like we've all heard people you love are a part of you. I felt that. Mm. I was like, I am like I'm there's no such thing as me. Like it's it's a it's a you know, culmination of everybody mm. I love and care about. Like they're right here. Yeah. 
And, and that's kind of really, makes me want to take Silsa. I mean, yeah. I want Lisa. I'm going to feel her a part of me. You know, yeah. She is, but I'm still kind of hurting from oh, that. Oh, I miss so. her so much. And we still have to have that memorial for her. It's been mm. over a year now. What an angel. So she was an angel. Well, all right. Anything else you want to talk about before we close? Mm. Any other advice for people around Thanksgiving? Um, I think my only advice for people around Thanksgiving would just be to just, you know, be... Um, be, yeah, be honest to yourself and others around you and um, do, do your best because there's a lot of pressure to do things a certain way. And I think as long as you're speaking truth to power and bringing the animal's perspective, you can't go wrong when you do that, especially if you're being like kind and compassionate with others. You're here. Good words done by. Uh, I know I promised we'd talk about Sam Bankman Freed and oh, the shoot. crypto stuff. We'll talk about that on another occasion because I think that's enough of a segue. Um, I'll have a conversation <laughs> with somebody else because honestly, Pri is not too into crypto or effective altruism. No. I was mostly interested in talking to you about it, partly because I just want to talk about it because I have all these thoughts about it that I've been wanting to I don't even know chest. who this guy is. Sam Bankman Freed is a billionaire, or actually a former billionaire. He's no longer a billionaire because I think he lost almost all of his wealth. So was in he one like day. intentionally dishonest? Well, that's a big question. And I have a lot of thoughts on that. That I think, I think people have, there's been a massive rush to judgment. It's weird because you'd think I'd be one of the people rushing to judgment because you know he i already mentioned that he kind of drifted away from animals and is doing this futuristic stuff and even when he was doing animals a lot of his money was going to stuff that i thought was counterproductive for the animals um but but i am my limited interactions with him i think he's a he's a good human being who is caught up in a movement that has norms that are often not productive for getting or not honest. Ourselves or the world into a better place. And, totally. and that's effective altruism. And I, again, yeah. I, I identify as an effective altruist. And I, I'm imagining a blog post. I want to write a blog post with the title, How Effective Altruism Can Bounce Back From This. Because I think effective altruism is a beautiful movement that has really powerful potential to, to change the world for the better. But there are certain norms that have developed within that movement that are bad. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I could be wrong about that, but I'd like to write about them. But I'll write about them on another time and I'll talk to them. Um, I, I'm actually kind of hoping to have Ben on the podcast to yeah, talk about this because be awesome. Ben is, is in crypto. Yes. And he's a great guy, uh, really profoundly wise human being. And I imagine, I imagine he probably even knows Sam Bankman wow. Freeman because they're both in the crypto world. I can world. imagine him knowing people. Yeah, he knows a lot of people. So, <laughs> a lot of, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So maybe I'll, I've actually texted Ben. He hasn't gotten back to me. Ben, you get back to me. Like ben. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll be in touch with Ben about this and maybe I'll have a conversation with him about it. But, yeah, thanks for joining, Priya, as yeah, always. Yeah, thank you. I love doing podcasts with yeah, you. <laughs> they're fun. They're fun. All right, thanks, everyone. Until thank next you. time. Thank you. Until next time. I'm still at the end of that conversation thinking and rethinking about whether I should be taking some psilocybin. I'm just kidding. The record. I'm going to be sober until the day of animal liberation. But thanks to all of you for listening, especially on this holiday week. I know folks are probably busy and traveling, but really appreciate you joining that conversation. I um, want to encourage you all again to send in questions about podcasts. I'm going to try and give you a heads up about guests I'm going to have on the show so you can uh, offer me some questions specifically for specific guests and on specific topics. I also want to let you know about this uh, training or workshop that Priya and I are organizing on December 3rd. If you happen to be in the Bay Area, there's no better place to understand the power each of us have to make the world a better place for animals, but also for ourselves than the Open Rescue Experience. It's going to be in San Francisco on December 3rd from about 1 to 5 p.m. It's the first time I've done this in over four years, and it's a transformative, powerful workshop. So make it out if you can. If you're not in the barrier, I'm sorry. 
I'm not planning to do this via Zoom because it just isn't the same. But we are going to do it in Denver, probably on January 14th. So stay tuned for that. There's going to be a big trial summit, and it's looking like on January 14th at that summit, I'll be doing an all-day workshop similar to the one I'm doing in San Francisco in a couple weeks. Um, I guess I should also say, if you're not already a subscriber to the Substack, simpleheart.substack.com. It's where we distribute these podcasts and I give some of my commentary about the podcast. So please subscribe to that. And finally, please rate this podcast in whatever app you're using to play it. So whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, you know, what other apps are there? Google Podcasts, whatever podcast app you're using, please rate the podcast, comment on it and share it with a friend because we don't have a big marketing budget. We really don't really have a budget at all. And we depend on people like you to to share some of these stories. And certainly the stories, the true stories of turkeys at Thanksgiving are, are stories that need to be spread. Thanks so much. Hope you're having a happy holiday. And I'll see you next time.